what you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Tuesday, January 10th, 2023, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. This is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again can be found at manrubs.com and on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom paddocks, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off-duty gear. Hot-melted plastic made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota and the apparatus known as the My Pillow family are kicking off the New Year's with the same great savings they've always got going on down at My Pillow. Whether it's the My Pillow Classic, My Robe, the Erlen Dells version ones and two, My Slippers, My Dog Beds, and Giza Dream Everything. When you enter promo code Steak, you're gonna get big savings. If you're more of a morning person, they've got you covered. They've launched my coffee. It's available in the bean, the bag, and the pod. You get a promo code STEAK here. You're getting 25% off your total order, 50% off when you make that monthly subscription. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep-related. MyStore.com forward slash steak for the coffee. And you can always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment specializing in headphones can only be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming... Potting. Our wayward son. Get your ear needs taken care of and done upright. Odyssey.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Our good friend Alan has launched the Patriot Cigar Company. The tobacco is picked in the fields of Nicaragua, right next to where Mike Lindell picks his coffee beans. The leaves are aged three years. The cigars are hand rolled. If you're on a promo code stake here, you're getting 15% off your total order. Any orders over 100 bucks, free shipping, and a $10 e-gift card is included with every purchase. MyPatriotCigars.com, a premium smoke for freedom-loving patriots. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL. If you're into the tradesies and don't live in Canada, he's also got a five-star rating. His newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is WestCoastSurvivalArms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone. 619-870-6992. Steak for breakfast backs the blue. We love our first responders, and they're always working hard. While they're off duty, they're probably wearing gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the beat. Plus, they've got a pretty fire IG. Mediocre Medic is the website there. And last but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair and home with a zero fucks duck. Still don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website there. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at Steak for Breakfast Podcast.com. 
Now you'll find a link tree that will take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram channel, and more. On that note, to everyone joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app from the Republican High Command, Discord, and now via our verified accounts on Twitter, Getter, and True Social. Welcome. Tuesday edition Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 203. I'm Roan. Noah's here briefly. Yo. Antoinette's joined us as well. Okay. Guys, we got a great show. Tons of our friends coming in today. We're going to have a report from the U.S. Southern Border with Jorge Ventura, the Daily Caller, former chief of staff to the Department of Defense, one of our favorites. Cash Patel is here. We're going to do a little bit of the news with Christina Bob as well. Speaking of which, let's jump right into it. Gates, where are you tonight? Well, Sean, this has never been about me or Kevin McCarthy. It's about the American people. And the American people want to know that the rules of the House of Representatives would never allow something like this terrible, horrendous, omnibus bill to ever pass ever again. And that's what Congresswoman Boebert and I have been working on. And while I know that sometimes these discussions can be a little awkward up front, I guess it's I guess it's like a prenuptial agreement that you'd be preparing. Sometimes there can be some uncomfortable moments in the preparation, but it can be necessary. I am excited well, and encouraged. Only- I am grateful that Speaker-designate McCarthy has been so receptive to each and every change that we have demanded. And Sean, we're at the stage right now where I'm running out of stuff to ask for. I mean, read the bills, have a balanced budget, have a border plan. Yes. Kevin McCarthy is agreeing to all these things. And again, it's never been about him. It's been about draining the swamp, making this a more honest, transparent, open place. And we may have a few finishing touches. We may be able to get this resolved tonight. But I am proud of the entire Republican conference. And we're going to be stronger and more unified and more able to hold this administration accountable because we have had these early moments of sorting things out of all the issues going on out there that are motivating to the republican base the the, the notion of somehow delaying or not investigating joe biden would be the most agitating so you want to get like hyper local and how to twist the knife here in montana that's the way yeah well that's the drum marjorie taylor green is the leader of the Hoyle, the leader of the mccarthy force when you saw mike rogers of alabama appearing to have to be physically restrained That is a pull I mean, back. Look, oh, physic- pull back. I mean, yeah. Right on the face. Somebody yeah. grabbed him. Mm-hmm. Physically watch, restrained. Watch, the face. watch this again. Watch his face. Yep. <laughs> wow. wow. As Kevin McCarthy is wow. is stonily walking away. Just to Scott, you said this this is treachery. Absolute treachery. Well, first of all, I'd like to thank all of our viewers for watching CNN's exclusive screening of Snakes on a Plane Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen the amount of treachery not since 1856. Now will the speaker designate, raise his right hand, do you solemnly swear that you will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that you will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that you take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that you will well and faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which you're about to enter. So help you, God. Yes, I do. Congratulations and Godspeed. House Democrats will always put American values over autocracy, benevolence over bigotry. The Constitution over the cult, democracy over demagogues, economic opportunity over extremism, 
freedom over fascism, governing over gaslighting, hopefulness over hatred, inclusion over isolation, justice over judicial overreach, knowledge over kangaroo courts, liberty over limitation, maturity over Mar-a-Lago, normalcy over negativity, opportunity over obstruction, people over politics, quality of life issues over QAnon, reason over racism, substance over slander, triumph over tyranny, understanding over ugliness. I know the night is late, but when we come back, our very first bill will repeal the funding for 87,000 new hours. Those were some of the sounds that brought us through what was 15 rounds of Speaker of the House vote. Um, I think we all saw it. We're going to be talking about it on the show. Welcome to Steak for Breakfast. If you're a new listener, thanks for joining us. And if you're a longtime listener, welcome back. Don't forget to subscribe to the show across all social medias and podcasting platform. Hit the notification bell. Won't kill you. Shared some really good memes today. Um, and we'll get them in the mentions at the end of the show. Joining us as part of our cold open is one of our great friends, soon to be world famous author and <laughs> attorney for the Trump 2024 campaign. She's already giggling. So you know who it is. It's Miss Christina Bob. She's back. How are you doing, ma'am? Hey, thank you so much for having me. Always love being on your show. And we always love hosting you. How does, uh, everything hanging out on your end going? Uh, things are good, you know, um, getting ready to get into gear on the campaign side and yeah, just take off running. I feel like we're getting to that part again where people are calling Donald Trump getting ready to go out on what's going to be another two-year journey um, back to the White House as inactivity. But anyone who's pretty much close to the orbit of Donald Trump as he is the sun in the center of our solar system knows that that he is That's a little cheesy come on thank you <laughs> you didn't even garrison oh. me thank you uh no he he's getting ready to go so yeah he is. he's gearing up and just like when people thought he was being inactive he started putting out those policies it was pretty funny to see um and we'll hear it in a bit the first person that was thanked after kevin mccarthy was able to obtain the speakership through the vote was was obviously a thanks to Donald Trump. Imagine that. So weird. Um, out of all the people he could have thanked. But, you know, Christina, you watched it. You know everybody yep. that's there. You know everybody that's involved. You've rubbed elbows with them, worked with others. And uh, what did you think of the whole thing? I'm... I'm really happy about it, actually. I'm grateful that it played out the way that it did, that it took 15 rounds, that they stood their ground, they got the concessions. Um, for the first time, you know, the Democrats were like, oh, look at how disjointed or, you know, the how messed up the Republicans are. No, no, no. For the first time in decades, the Republicans are actually standing up for what their constituents want. And it wasn't even a majority of them. Mm -hmm. It was a very small minority, but it was enough to make a difference. And I'm just really proud of them for doing what they did. I don't mind that Kevin McCarthy ultimately won. I think we all kind of knew that that was going to happen just because there really wasn't anybody else to do that job. Um, so I don't I don't have any problems with the outcome, but I'm just really pleased with the way that it went. And I will give um, Kevin McCarthy 
a little bit of credit tentatively, hmm. but you know, he put uh Byron Donalds in um in a position and he's he seems to be willing to work with those who opposed him. So um I'm I'm pleased with it. I think it I think it was a good result for the American people. Yeah, and of course you're referring to Byron Donalds who's gonna be on steering, which is huge. It, it's one of the biggest uh, components of the way the house operates in regards to everything. It's like the oversight for the oversight. And uh, we'll get into that in our news one segment, but sticking here, I kind of agree with you, Christina, you have to give Kevin McCarthy a little bit of credit. We talked about it in extent for like the last couple of weeks leading up to this pretty much for the last year, because we would have hoped there would have been more of like an open primary challenge. But once it got down to the straw poll vote right after the midterm elections and Kevin McCarthy was right around 200 votes, the only way for anybody else to be Speaker of the House would be for him to vacate his nomination. Right. Because there just wasn't the votes there. And then, like, right. the, the never Kevin delegation started and the only Kevin delegation started. <laughs> you saw some true colors shining through. Everybody from uh, the senator or the uh, congressman from Alabama all the way up to uh, Mr. Crenshaw, who represents Texas. We, we saw a bunch of different weird does and wild he know, things. Like, does he? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. So oh. throw that out there. No, no, you're right. And and that was quite a hollow apology. We're actually going to hear that in our news one segment as well that he gave on, of course, CNN yesterday. <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was a wild ride. I think growth and development within the party. We have obviously gotten comfortable and complacent over the last couple of years. I think a lot of people originally rode Donald Trump's coattails and then hoped to re-ride them in 2020. And when that didn't work out for us, it was kind of like, Okay, so maybe like riding coattails is the problem. So we're going to do everything we can to not ride the coattails. And and like you said, it was pretty eye opening to see how small of a delegation came back to really stand with the president's principles, uh, Trump era yep. policies, and the things that they know are going to get this country back on the right track. Everything from the economy to energy dependence and the U.S. southern border all go back to things that Donald Trump did amazingly throughout the course of his presidency. Um, but yeah, yeah, so we're going to jump into some audio clips here. Kevin McCarthy teased some of the things coming down the pike, namely committees and things that they're going to be investigating. Let's hear it. Now, speaking of committees, we will hold the swamp accountable from the withdrawal of Afghanistan to the origins of COVID and to the weaponization of the FBI. Let me be very clear. We will use the power of the purse and the power of the subpoena to get the job done. This is some. And, and you know, I, I think some of the biggest. We've already seen him kind of backing up his words on that, already saying that Jim Jordan is going to chair that committee for uh, investigating the weaponization of federal law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, and looking into the DOJ right. and stuff like that. In addition, Tom Massey, who's pretty far ahead of the curve when it comes to like people calling it conspiracy theories when it first comes out, but then imagine that six months later it's true uh, because he's a realist and has a brain and, and thinks by himself he's not part of the big blob that is the Republican Party in some aspects. 
he's going to be on that committee too. Does that kind of excite you to see those two guys on that? Yeah, I do. I, I do think that's going to end up being really good. Um, I think Jim Jordan is the right person. I think that's the right position for Jim Jordan. I was a little nervous. I was like, oh my gosh, if they're going to make him speaker, then we lose him as the chairman of judiciary. So I'm excited that uh, Jim Jordan's going to be in that that position. I think he'll do a really good job. Um, I, I'm a little bit, I, I'm curious to see how those investigations go because in 2020, Ron Johnson, as the chairman of the Senate Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee, issued a report that showed that Hunter Biden was likely working in human sex trafficking, possibly with minors, you know, taking money from Russia. Yep. I mean, that they they already investigated it and found it and put it out there. Nobody did anything about it. So I'm very excited to see that Jim Jordan is going to be doing this. I just I, I want to see how they finagle a way to actually have it make an impact because we already know that joe biden's taking kickbacks and getting bribes and we know the biden family has been taking bribes from our adversaries for years and that's how they got wealthy off it we know nancy pelosi is doing insider trading and getting wealthy off of her position like we know these things how are they going to actually enforce the law when the biden crime family is overseeing the federal criminal justice system at the moment yeah they certainly are i know that's one of noah's favorite uh things that the biden crime family's overseeing mm. the weaponized justice department yeah it's, it's it's always uh really good for them bad mm. for bad for everyone else bad for everyone else he made that that was a quick turnaround he had in el paso yesterday three hours from tarmac to tarmac that's impressive how close to the I mean, actual border <laughs> Oh, I mean, he, locked he had to go there. He had to go there so that he could say that, oh, look at what all these bad Republicans have done. I mean, yeah. that's what that's what he said. He was like, you know, those MAGA MAGA Republicans are the cause of the border crisis. I mean, right. I don't know who believes this guy at this point. Like everything he said, it says is so blatantly a lie that who who is taking him seriously at this point? Anybody? Hopefully it won't be the people that eventually vote for the enormous amnesty bill he's getting ready to drop because I think that's going to be like his big second half of his presidency legislation um, that he's going to try and start it with like just the people that have come in recently, like the three million plus DACA, and it's going to wind up turning into path for citizenship for the close to 40 million illegals that are currently in this country. And uh, yeah, that, that, that really does scare me. I think. The only reason they're showing that make it through the house, though, I don't think that could. I don't think they'd make it through to you. Well, that's the thing. I mean, I didn't think the omnibus was going to make it through, and mm -hmm. uh, it, Mitch McConnell sure did help them out there. And then they did their little buddy buddy uh, uh, joint press conference in Kentucky last week to to show off the new bridge that Joe Biden gave Mitch McConnell. So. That's kind of how it works there. We all know that at least on the Senate side, Mitch McConnell is going to be working against America First and Donald Trump just out of spite. And then longstanding history of the way he's voted. And we hope that those people in the House finally come together. We'll, we'll see uh, what happens because they need to be on the same page. And, and I think we're getting some of the right people. You know, you're going to have Chip Roy and like rules and oversight to make sure that when they say power of the purse, they're not just going to be able to, uh, you know, ram these bad uh, pieces of legislation through. They're also going back to trying to ban earmarks, which was a, a staple of a Republican House before. Uh, well, after the Tea Party movement and before Nancy Pelosi's reigns took over. But uh, I did mention when uh, we first introduced Christina that the first person that was thanked pretty much after Kevin McCarthy was able to secure the speakership was 
Imagine that, Donald Trump, who, listen, from putting out posts on True Social to screenshots of Congress people with him on the phone being passed to one another to tell them to cut the shit and just vote present so we can all go home. Uh, Kevin McCarthy wanted to throw his uh, thanks and praises his way, so let's hear him there. I do want to especially thank uh, President Trump. I don't think you should doubt, anybody should doubt his influence. He was with me from the beginning. Somebody wrote the doubt of whether he was there, and he was all in. He would call me, and he would call others. And uh, he really was, I was just talking to him tonight, um, helping get those final votes. What he's really saying, really, for the party and the country, that we have to come together. We have to focus on the economy. We've got to focus, make our borders secure. We've got to do so much work to do, and he was a great influence to make that all happen. So thank you, President Trump. Mm. Ran right out to CNN to tell him that one. I'm sure they enjoyed that thoroughly. Mm-hmm. But uh, I wonder, Chris, Christina, do you know if Donald Trump was able to get Mike Rogers on the phone at all at, <laughs> on the night of the vote? <laughs> so I do not know. I do know that um, Donald Trump was watching it very closely and was very involved and cared very, you know, cared very much about the results and um, making sure that Republicans had all the authority that they could have. So I know he was very involved, but I don't know who he talked to. I just captioned the video with, and, and here comes Mike Rogers with a steel chair. Mm. When, they, when they put the hand over his face, the, the meme oh my that, gosh. that came out of Yeah, that, that got a bit aggressive. That yeah. was amazing. I just, like, <laughs> I've seen, like, the bad lip-reading videos where, yes. like, they, they, they input, like, what they think they're saying. Like, you smell like a tuna fish or, like, mm-hmm. whatever. But I, I want somebody that actually reads lips to tell us exactly what they were saying. Oh, well, he said, he told Matt Gates, I'll effing end you. Oh. So, that's, but, but now he's stepping down. They made up. They've made they up. did make up. That's and, professional. And he's stepping down from one of his two major committees, not armed services, but the other one, uh, because just bad optics. And, uh, man, somebody even put it out there, that toupee, somebody just <laughs> said, that thing must snap on like a Lego because somebody went right over it and it didn't even move. So, <laughs> so that's the... Well, that's the thing. Adhesive spray. When you have all of your Congress people there, you get to see some of the best rugs that money has to offer. So you know, you know who has the bigger portfolios when when you see the better rugs do you, up there. Do you think we paid for it? Of course we did. <laughs> Pay for everything, right out of the. Uh, that's the power of the purse as well. Speaking of purses, someone who probably wears them used to be all in for America First. Now is never Trumper. Nancy Mace was on Face the Fake Nation this weekend. Um, talking about the rules for the 118th Congress that it, that got voted on yesterday and how she felt about them. Let's hear uh, her kind of throw her Debbie Downerness on top of everybody and, uh, you know, try to take a little bit of the wind out of the sails coming out of that vote for Kevin McCarthy. Initially about the rules package, which is published and would be voted on tomorrow. Right. Um, are you saying that you're right. going to withhold your vote on those published uh agreements until you know what these backroom deals were? I am considering that as an option right now. I like the rules package. It is the most open, fair, and fiscally conservative package we've had in 30 years. I support it. But what I don't support is a small number of people trying to get a deal done or deals done for themselves in private, in secret, to get a a vote or a vote present. Uh, I don't support that. That is just what Nancy Pelosi does, and that's not what they should be doing. And so I am on the fence right now about the rules package vote tomorrow for that reason. Hopefully she won't 
literally do exactly what she's complaining about and hold up the rules package from passing by either voting present or that she's against it. Like, that's the funny part about these people. Sometimes they have to get their point out there so everybody hears their opinion, but they don't realize that they're literally complaining about the things that they're complaining about. Yeah. They become the most hypocritical people on the planet, and then they under, they don't understand why people hate politicians. But I I think Nancy Mace completely misses the point, and she certainly wasn't paying attention to social media or what her constituents were saying, because I think the vast majority of at least Republicans or conservatives, the vast majority fully supported Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert and Chip Roy and everything that they were doing to hold out and say, get more for us, get more for us. So the fact that she would come out and say, you know, I don't, I don't like that a small number of people can do this. Well, that's our constitution and yeah. that's how it works. And that's why it was designed that way so that the little people don't get steamrolled by everybody who's sold out to the, you know, the big dollars. Yep. So, it, you know, whatever. Nancy Mace is not, not long for the political world. I don't think. Oh, we made it through the entire spectrum. Like people were referring back to Matt Gates, completely fabricated by the media's legal problems from last year. Right. They were calling, you know, oh, here comes Chip Roy to stand up for Donald Trump when him and Donald Trump aren't even talking right now. I was like, okay, one has nothing to do with the other. He's talking about the next session of Congress and how we're going to move forward as a nation. Not his, right. you know, withstanding or not relationship with Donald Trump. You had people obviously calling Byron Donald's essentially the black face of white supremacy again. Uh, Corey Bush dropped a couple hammers on him, but he came right back and, and reminded everybody that he is 6'2", 275, and is not scared of anything. Yeah, right? So, and, and you know, people were even trying to delegitimize people like Jim Jordan. I saw Jason Chaffetz and Trey Gowdy making asses out of themselves. Like, Jim Jordan's probably one of the best congressmen. We, he's like a Ron Johnson of the House of Representatives when it comes to, like, credibility, the ability to, you know, be able to get to the bottoms of things and not. Ron Johnson's had a little bit more of uh, support in the Senate from some of his Congress people there, and that's why some of his bigger committees or hearings have produced more results. But now it's going to be Jim Jordan's time to shine. And, and the fact of the matter is you can't deny that they're America first, but when you start talking about that stuff, which is the only – common denominator between all these people. I don't want to forget Lauren Boebert because she was in there as well. They are American first house representatives. And that is what brings out like the absolute worst in people. And, and we saw a lot of that throughout the course of the week last week. Um, yep. On the other side of the aisle, uh, representative Clark jumped on state of the fake union as well. Right after Nancy Mace, they had, a, they had a wonderful lineup this weekend of never Trumpers on there and, and was talking about the same thing trading equities for, you know, politically motivated positions on seats and committees to do whatever is the beck and call of like the ultra MAGA wing of the Republican Party. She's going to frame it a little bit nicer because she probably has a little bit higher of an education than I do, but let's hear her anyway. What we are seeing here is that when they talk about process, that is a smokescreen. What none of the representatives you just had on would take on is that they've already put this out there. This is their written agenda that they had put forward during the midterms, that they are going to use the debt ceiling as leverage to take American seniors hostage. This is their plan. They voted to raise the debt ceiling three times under the Trump administration. This is all about forcing us to make cuts to Social Security, where the hard-earned earnings of Americans reside, and Medicare, so that they can, you know, 
enact that in the middle she of a crisis. She doesn't even know what she's saying. That is taking our seniors hostage. We have to be clear about this. And all the talk about process and amendments and germaneness, that is cover for what they're really trying to do, which is dismantle the equities of our economy <laughs> and to make sure that their billionaire buddies continue to thrive at the expense of hardworking American families. Oh, scissor me timbers. Did you catch all that, Christina? <laughs> that made exactly zero sense. Zero like, sense. It did. I don't know that she understood what she was saying. Like, I was trying really hard to follow it to see if she had a point and she she was going all over the place, made no sense whatsoever. And, you know, I love how Democrats immediately resort to violent language. They're holding them hostage, mm -hmm. like makes it makes it sound like people are in, you know, threatening positions. First of all, they're not holding anybody hostage. I would say the opposite. You, you could say the opposite would also be true with the fact that they keep increasing our debt. They're holding us hostage to whatever they want to do because we have to keep paying for it. So we end up becoming a slave to them. So it doesn't, it, it, I don't know, it doesn't make any sense. And I think that she's gaslighting the way that Democrats gaslight. Yeah, who's billionaire friends? Don't you guys have billionaire friends too? Right. I, aren't there more billionaires on the left yeah. than on the right? I only want to be friends with one billionaire. No. Oh. I'll I'll I two. wouldn't mind having a few billionaire friends. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you, you, have one, you have one more than us. So one. Oh, and then, the, but you got to put Mike Lindell in there too. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, we're yeah. associates. So you got to have a couple. Now I have to do a, a Scarface <laughs> beam of Mike Lindell on the chair. <laughs> Billionaire confirmed. There you go. That's state exclusive right there. Uh. But, but yeah, I, I mean, they were out in full force and, and whether it was trying to say Kevin McCarthy is going to be like a paper tiger leader all the way down to, Look at the people who are coming on these shows ahead of us. They are everything that's wrong with this country. They're the ones who put democracy back on the ballot uh, for all of eternity to come. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny how they just kind of spin that narrative. They're going to be such spoiled brats for the next two years. And uh, I think out of all of them, probably the squad members are the ones that are going to have the their panties in a bunch the most because... Look at what they could have done with just a small delegation of Democrats. And if they had the, you know, I'm going to just go out and say it, balls to stand up to Nancy Pelosi two years ago. Uh, they could have held up her speakership just like Kevin McCarthy's right. got held up. And they, could they have can't, though. They can't, though, because their their strategy and their tactics are completely different. They play and they're much better than us at playing being the game. In, in sync and in unison. They're very good at getting their their little minions to do their marching orders. Republicans don't do that because Republicans tend to be independent, more independent thinkers. And um, so they're, they're very good at having uniformity within the, the rank and file Democrat politicians, but their weakness on that is they don't have the people like the Matt's gate, Matt Gates and Lauren Boebert's and Chip Royce that are, are willing to get more concessions. They don't want more concessions because they've got the whole thing rigged and played and, you know, they have to stay in line and just do what they're told. So, I mean, it's a, a fundamental difference in ideology. Yeah, I think an overwhelming majority of our work is still ahead of us, even though it seemed like everything that led up through the midterm elections and this whole speakership yeah. process has gotten us to this point. It's like they voted on rules yesterday 
And then we're going to start hitting it hard next week in regards to Congress. And then full steam ahead, we got the RNC chair vote coming up in just like, you know, two and a half weeks. weeks. So that's going to encompass a lot of what's going on. Did some of the... uh, the change that we saw in Congress and and the fight that we saw in Congress going to contribute to those races. I did see Ronald McDaniel come out over the weekend and slam Democrats for for a lot of the things that they were accusing Republicans of doing or being in the case of like Matt Gates and, and Byron Donalds and stuff like that. But I, I do think you have to really attribute, and we've chronicled it a lot on the show, Matt Gates is not everybody's favorite flavor of ice cream. Definitely not Joe Biden's because I wouldn't consider him chalky chalky chip. <laughs> nah. But the fact of the matter is his growth process throughout the course of the last couple of years, we've documented it well on this show. You know, when he first got into Congress uh, a couple terms ago, he was very immature. Um, he did stuff for face value. And I've seen him grow into someone that looks like he's interested in this for the long haul. And he right. really wants to make this country better. Um, we had Ambassador Grinnell on our uh, last episode of the show, and, and, and you want to know what? He kind of broke it down. He's like, Matt Gates is one of my greatest friends. I love the guy. I hug the guy. I talk to the guy. I've texted him advice throughout the course of this. He's like, he's just not going to go the way that everybody else wants him to go because everybody, including President Trump in some way, shape, or form, has urged him to do it. And I think that earns him a lot of credibility in, in regards to Okay, Matt Gates isn't going to be the president. He's not going to be a senator or a governor, and he's not going to be a past administration official that's out there now who's going to be possibly another administration official right. after 2024. Mm-hmm. How do you think his growth process has, has gone, Christina? He has moved to the forefront as one of the leaders, not the leaders, because there are some senior guys there who really know how yeah. to take the reins. But watching him go through this right now is he's kind of making his ascension into uh, gaining a lot more credibility to him in the House. How, how did you see it going down? I think you're exactly right. I think he has grown and matured as a congressman over the last couple years. Um, certainly now that he's passed some of the scandals that they threw at him, I think he's got a little bit more freedom to be a little bit more aggressive. And I think he is owning his role very well. I mean, he he made a lot of great moves in this McCarthy situation uh, that really helped the American people. And so he appears to me anyway, as someone who's really doing what he thinks is best for the country. I think he's genuinely sick of all of the same things that we're all sick of, yeah. all of the BS, all of the the gamesmanship and, and all of that. And I think he's just trying to clean it up. I mean, he's still really young, so he's got a whole career ahead of him. I don't think, I mean, I don't know. I don't necessarily see him staying in Congress for, you know, 30 years or whatever, I think he'll, he'll move around and do something. But, um, but he's absolutely, I think he's the, he's the instigator, right? He's the one that can spur a not just enough people to get something done. And I, I think that's kind of the role that he's owned. Yeah. And it's something that he's grown into and, and we appreciate, you know, on behalf of like, not only like our listenership and to, you know, the America first people, but to everyone, because, I don't really feel like he's going out there looking to please just Donald Trump or the MAGA base or the the nationalist populist people out there. Definitely, yeah. I I think he's like, this is a nationwide screw job, and we've got to get it under control. He actually talked about this on Fox Sunday, gave some credit to Kevin McCarthy, where credit was due, for holding the line and being able to get, by negotiating some of the things out of him that he was hoping for. Let's hear the congressman from Florida weigh in on his uh, overall grade for the uh, speakership. 
construct of these rules concessions functionally turn the speakership into a ceremonial position. Do you mean that? Well, Speaker McCarthy is our speaker, and long live the speaker. I look forward to working closely with him. But he did agree to his great credit to democratize power to the membership. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, these committees that decide what bills come to the floor, what the spending paradigm is, they're controlled just by people loyal to the speaker. Now what we have is a real representation of all of the different viewpoints within our conference on the Rules Committee, on the Appropriations Committee. We fought hard to get agreements to have conservatives on those committees, to have our budget hawks on appropriations, and I can't wait to see what we're able to do when we unlock the potential of all of our members going forward. What about the concern that this delayed process weakened him? And to recap, we've got a Democrat in the White House. We've got Democrats running the United States Senate. Don't you need him, him to be as strong as possible? Well, I think the way to have a strong Republican position on a lot of these issues is to have strong Republicans on the most relevant committees. And I don't really get the critique that taking from Tuesday to Friday to work this out puts the Republican majority in peril. I mean, you know, Mike, that in the summer, the entire Congress takes like six weeks off where we're not even around at all. So to take four days to figure out who's going to be second in line to the presidency and to ensure that we have a House of Representatives that is a fighting force going to check the Biden administration, absolutely worth it. I think, I think it is, too. And the fact of the matter is it's like that meme that's been circulating around of the person like ripping the skin off their own face. And it's like when you can't send money to Ukraine for four days. And it's like that that's literally where we're at. And, you know, we do need to pump the brakes negotiating and, and holding the line in regards to votes to make sure there are people on rules, on people on steering. Yeah. And um, Kevin McCarthy even gave up one of his votes in steering. He used to get five votes. Now he's only going to get four. So the little alliance that he'll have with the other people there, he actually gave one of his votes to the associate member that he's putting on. Byron Donalds is going to have a vote for that now. So it, it, it checks and balances is one of the biggest things that Ambassador Grinnell talked about last week because he had a pretty yeah. good narrative on the whole race for the speakership. And I think moving forward – you know, we have to be able to go in with a clear mind and understand, like, listen, polls are going to come out and say Joe Biden's uh, approval ratings are awesome. Everyone's still going to say that the country's going in the wrong direction, but it doesn't look that way. Uh, you know, they look at how fast they can clean up the streets of El Paso in, like, two days to get. Yeah, those side-by-side -side photos are ridiculous. Ridiculous. It's like, seriously, like, let's epic brush out. Yeah. And, and and they will continue to paint this picture of a false narrative that is not the reality we live in, but the one they want you to believe you live in, unless we start doing things for real like we saw up in Congress. I mean, I was pretty bummed we didn't get to the 133 votes like we did back in 1856, but hey, there's always two years from now. And uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see I what it can... I think that's exactly right. I don't think the, the swamp was upset that Republicans are weakening potential Republican power. I think they were upset that they were actually using the process. They just want everybody to get along, like go along with what the swamp has already predetermined and we're going to continue to do things business as usual. And you had a small contingency of Republicans saying, no, 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 we want more. We want more for our constituents. We want more for the American people. And we're not going to go with business as usual this time around. And I think that's what they were angry about. Yeah, and one of the biggest things I saw coming out of all this, we have the potential to run the House of Representatives, even with a slim majority, the way Donald Trump hoped it would run. And, right. and, and it's because we've stepped so far away from a lot of the policies that had success during the course of his presidency pre-pandemic and then coming out of it that I think these guys, they all know 
okay, it's looked two totally different ways in the last four years, and and the current two-year stint that we're in is not the way that, you know, number one is going to ever get us reelected, and and number two, moving forward, probably going to cost us power because even though we're not in control, they're going to blame it on us anyway moving forward. Yeah, of course they will. I mean, that's what they do. I just like we just said how Joe Biden's like, oh, the border crisis is Republicans problems. And and the liberal media just goes along with it. Nobody says, hang on a second. Are we all just going to be OK with the president lying to the entire country? But, you know, that's where we're at right now. Well, we're going to get about as real a picture as, as possible a little bit later in the show. We're going to have uh, Fox News contributor and Daily Caller correspondent Jorge Ventura back with us for the first time in a while and I'm excited to hear kind of nervous to hear just how bad it is on the ground out there in El Paso and all the places that he's been to but sticking with you Christina you're going to be back on the 24th uh, day your book launched I mean we've all got it on pre-order but we're really excited for that so for anybody that's not already following you we're going to live link uh, obviously the Trump campaign your social medias and the book in the show description today but let everybody uh, hear where they can find you Thanks. Yeah, you can get me on Truth and Getter at Christina Bob or on Instagram and Twitter at Christina underscore Bob. You can go to Amazon. The book is Stealing Your Vote. Um, I think it's important for everyone to read if you want to know what happened in the election and what we need to do before 2024. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And uh, we'll be excited to get a full breakdown and talk a little bit about it with you on the 24th, in addition to whatever the heck's going on. It's going to be right before the RNC chair vote as well. I'm sure it's going to be at the top of everybody's list. But we appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule to join us, and we'll be looking forward to having you on again. Thank you so much. This is an attorney for Trump 2024 campaign, one of our greatest friends. Ms. Christina Bob, thanks for joining us on the show. Joining us next on the show today, he's the former chief of staff to the Department of Defense, special assistant to President Trump. He also sits on the board of Truth Social. He's soon to be a best-selling author. We're going to talk about that a little bit more. Mr. Cash Patel, welcome back to the show. Hey, Merry New Year, guys. Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, it sounds a little less raucous as it did last time. You gave us a roving report from the uh, from Bourbon Street. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but at least it was before I had had a cocktail. So that was, yeah, I did, I did do good there. I would like a Bloody Mary. <laughs> <laughs> I would so, like a hurricane. There you go. I mean... Last time you were you were dropping truth bombs and catching beads at the same time. So the level of uh, expertise you have is unparalleled on Steak for Breakfast, and we're glad to have you back. How's everything going with you? It's been a pretty busy week in the news and uh, a lot of stuff to be seeing. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. It's just a lot of fake news. You know, Joe Biden taking classified documents, no big deal. You can see here, but they've been setting his, uh, his exoneration up for months by <laughs> – yeah, you know, we saw this coming through the newswire over the last 24 hours. What we know so far is that there was a set of documents that Joe Biden apparently kept while he was the vice president. You're going to clarify that for us in a minute. It seems that these documents are, are related to things having to do with the U.K., Iran, and Ukraine. Imagine that. No special interest there. <laughs> and uh, it seems like the Department of Justice and, and investigating agencies, another shocker, have known about this for a little while, but it's now just leaking out to the press. So just from outside looking in, cash, someone who knows exactly who can classify and, and declassify documents, where they can be stored, and who's allowed to store them. What are we seeing here from your angle? I mean, I think that's the biggest takeaway, even though there's probably 40. The biggest one is they have just shown the world what we've been saying all along, because we know what the law is, but they didn't want to apply it to President Trump, that the only person who is the sole arbiter of classification and has a unilateral authority to declassify and classify things at whim 
is a sitting president of the United States. You know who does not have that authority? Mm. A vice president of the United States. Thanks, Joe Biden, for forcing the truth out. Like we have to force it out on Russiagate. Like we have to force it out on the Ukraine impeachment fiasco. Like we have to force it out on January 6th. And when you go back into the media bloodstream of the fake news mafia, you realize, not surprisingly, they had known. Now, the second biggest takeaway is, of course, they withheld and hijacked yet another election. They rigged another election, this time not for president, but for both houses of Congress, because they, the DOJ and FBI, refused to let this information out, which would have changed the minds of voters, at least in a number of senatorial races, I believe, that would have swung for the Republican Party. But of course, they did not want that to happen. And now they are working overtime to try to put up the veneer of impartiality by saying, oh, we have the U.S. attorney in Illinois, a Trump holder, holdover looking at it. Who cares? Why didn't you prosecute this case yesterday like you are publicly prosecuting the Trump Mar-a-Lago stuff? Because there's a two-tier system of justice. And at the end of the day, they will go out there and say, oh, look, we, we didn't uh, prosecute Trump because now we can't prosecute Biden. And it's going to be a total, total farce because the cases could not be more different. I mean, that's the case for it right there. And just to clarify, under no time prior to him being president, so that's citizen Joe Biden and the previous vice president, Joe Biden, he had no authority for these documents to be in his possession in one of his personal offices or homes at any time. Nope, and I'm sure that there's, you know, a whole legion of SWAT teams and FBI agents getting ready to go down and bust the door down of the Biden Penn Center and then roll down to 1600 Pennsylvania and issue subpoenas to every White House staffer and everybody that worked on Joe Biden's campaign. I'm sure they're going to handle this investigation in that manner because I'm pretty sure they handled another one investigation in that manner. I know the FBI showed up at my door. Yeah, they certainly did, and a lot of uh, uh, I'm not going to hold my breath. Others of our friends, unfortunately, <laughs> unfortunately for for the for the former vice president, he won't have the ability to have top tier staffers like Christina Bob at the end of the driveway directing traffic when the FBI's <laughs> not raiding his personal residences and offices. We always talk about the two tier justice system. The same uh, idea goes for the mainstream media and the legacy media. Believe it or not. Just before the show started, the cows on the view were out at pasture today talking about this. <laughs> Didn't mention cash, but uh, mentioned something else. Let's hear it. I think that no, what you just said is yeah. right. That, yeah. that there are differences in what happened. Yes, but you know, the are not good. Well, we all know that Trump is a liar and a thief. Oh, you know, we know that. So it's not that big a jump to say that he obstructed and he lied. We don't think that Biden is a liar and a thief, so we give him the benefit of the doubt. That's partly what's going on. Wow. But what I think also is going on, no matter what the truth of it is, Whoopi, they will spin it, Bubblehead and Marjorie Taylor and that crowd, Matt Gates. You think they're not going to spin this that is just as bad as Trump? And so the, the lie gets out there. People believe it, just like that Donaldson person, whatever his name is. Byron. What's his name? Byron, Byron Donalds. Mm. I saw him also. He was at the, uh, the fight on the floor, too, yeah. wasn't he? He was nominated for speaker a number of times. by two people. Yeah. He's the new darling. In one of the 15 rounds. But, I mean, what I'm just saying is that the party. lying has been so invasive, mm -hmm. so ubiquitous, mm -hmm. that no one will believe the truth anymore. And that, that you can put that at the, at the feet of Donald Trump, who started the lying. So... Oh. 
There you go. So, so cash. After hearing that, they're making, they're starting to spin the narrative before it even gets into the primetime shows. That says, no matter what the truth is, and it's how okay wrong if you like them. Yeah, if Joe Biden even did this because of Donald Trump, not giving any reasons for it, but just because of the existence of the person Donald Trump, we cannot believe any truths that come out in wrongdoings with Joe Biden about this. What do you think? Uh, yeah, obviously, the ladies on the View are the final word um, <laughs> in um, truth and you know, the law and the application of a single system of justice, especially, you know, that clown show turncoat that is Alyssa Farah. Yep. Um, she has actually less credibility than Whoopi and the other one that, that was just screaming out there uh, because her biases are on actual display now. She's just doing it for the money. Those other two have always been that way. Uh, so, you know, I don't really pay attention to the view. I think that's the the longest 40 seconds of my life. Um, <laughs> thanks for that. I'll never have that back. But what I do pay attention to is the fake news mafia and their collusion with the Biden DOJ. In November uh, November 14th of 2022, yeah, this past year, right after the election, the Washington Post, of course, the purveyors of truth, issued an article which specifically said federal investigators have determined that Donald Trump did not have the intention to leak classified information because he, quote, had a ego and desire, end quote, to obtain and maintain those documents. The Washington Post would never write that article if it wasn't a setup for something else. And now we know what the setup was for. Now, that DOJ and FBI that leaked to them and put it out there, and almost nobody read it because it was actually true and good for Trump, <laughs> And the only people that read the Washington Post are the same ones that watch The View. Um, now we know that they knew that Joe Biden was under investigation because that FBI and DOJ told them as much. And now this FBI and DOJ is going to say, look, we're applying the ego and desire standard to Joe Biden's withholding and taking and seizing of classified information, even though it's completely inapplicable to this set of facts. Um, they're going to say we treated everyone fairly. But the irony of irony is, and I'll bet my bottom dollar on it, I don't have any insight on it, but you're going to see Hunter Biden documents in there, Burisma, CCP, payments, money, corruption at the Ukraine, and how Joe Biden got a prosecutor fired by blackmailing a foreign government. And I think these are the documents he sees to make sure his son and never got prosecuted, and also to make sure he, Joe Biden, could become president of the United States because if he had a stranglehold on these documents, he knew he could control the deep state government gangsters at the intelligence community, the FBI, to do his bidding. And now they are just unveiling their plans to the public so that uh, nothing happens to Uncle Joe. Yeah, and, and you did mention the mainstream media outside of the realms of the cows on The View and, and how Amanda Milius can only hit Alyssa Fair the way she does when she starts talking about Botox and tummy tucks and stuff like that. <laughs> I will leave that to Amanda. She's so good. She is the best. Don Lemon, who I won't play the clip for you today, former primetime host, banished to the early show circuit, uh, was out there talking to a CNN political correspondent who specialized in, like, the law, if you can even imagine them having those on that network. But they've, they've already tried to spin the narrative as saying, like, the Joe Biden documents, it seems that they're 10 or less, where Donald Trump may have had hundreds, which we all know is not the case. And even if it was, the president has different authorities than the at the time, would-be vice president did as well. And, uh, you know, talked about 
how Joe Biden is not under investigation for potential obstruction where Donald Trump is. There's also a huge gray area there. We don't necessarily think that's the case based off the fact that people that literally provided the guidance in regards to working with the FBI from the Trump team, people like at times, even yourself, said that there was a open communication with the FBI in regards to sharing whatever documents and stuff like that, what was going on behind the scenes before the raid at Mar-a-Lago has happened. And, uh, you know, then they go into the whole, well, the right has politicized things like this, so now we're taking it like it's a big story when it's still something that's developing. So they're trying to sweep it in and out of the news cycle just as fast as possible and uh the fact of the matter is we're probably never going to get the real story and we can only hope that you know the new members in congress who are seem a lot willing to open more investigations than they did in the last session uh, have moved forward which is why where i want to you know move on to next so you watch the whole slugfest go down everything from the 15 rounds of voting all the way up to uh mike rogers coming down the aisle with a steel chair going after matt gates and uh, we eventually get Kevin McCarthy as speaker. Now, regardless of who you wanted or how it turned out, we explained from very early on on this show that we have had years to nominate or push forward someone that could challenge someone, uh, you know, to, at the level of Kevin McCarthy. But the fact of the matter is, once we got up to the actual vote, an overwhelming majority of the elected officials on the Republican side, close to or even slightly over 200, were in. Unless Kevin McCarthy pulled his nomination, there would be no other speaker. So while... The debate and the prolongedness of it to get a lot of these stipulations that we're talking about on the show today in regard to the new rules that passed uh, last night is great. But at the same time, uh, it, it was a process and part of the growth that we need to go to. What did you say? I mean, me and you were texting back and forth. You said and, and assured me that you hadn't run out of popcorn. But uh, is this something that, you know, you uh, thought we needed and like where we're going with the direction of uh, the 118th Congress? What do you think? Yes and yes. We absolutely needed this. We absolutely needed a negotiation, a slugfest, as you call it, because normally it's a rubber stamp. And Nancy Pelosi came in and unilaterally put a stranglehold on the Democratic Party and changed the rules herself. That's not how a representative democracy works. And I find it hilariously ironic and hypocritical of the media to go, oh, my God, we're in day two of negotiations with the Speaker of the House. You mean you want to spend a couple of days negotiating with the third most powerful human being on planet Earth? Yeah. That's what you want to do. You want to make sure the representatives of the House who represent the American people have our interests and mind and also are ex acting on our interests. That's why we sent them to Washington. And I think we got significant, um, I don't, significant exchanges. I don't even call them concessions. I call them agreements that are a win for the America First agenda when we have committees being chaired and a subcommittee that's going to challenge and look into the weaponization of the federal government. That's what we all wanted. And when you have a guy like Jim Jordan heading that up, you know you have a strong America First warrior yeah. who knows how to run investigations and can hold people accountable, specifically Ray and Garland. And the other thing you got is you know the motions to vacate the chair and powers returned to the members of Congress themselves rather than the powers that were taken by Nancy Pelosi for Speaker of the House. That's exactly what you want to have seen happen. Uh, but because the Republicans were the ones doing it, they're de they're demonized for it. No, and let's not forget Kevin McCarthy coming out and saying he would not be speaker without the voice and support of Donald Trump. Yes, that is an absolute fact. And you have to form coalitions um, if you're speaker of the House because of the base that representative uh, of, of because of Donald Trump's base and Donald Trump's running for president. 
he ha- he can't go in there and gaslight everyone who's willing to help the America First agenda. He has to help it move forward. And now with these committees, look, we'll see. But I'm I'm optimistic right now that these committees will do the work that this DOJ and FBI and intelligence community won't do and will come and hold these government gangsters and people at DOD and every other agency accountable for their failures and corrupt activity because they're the only people left to do it, the members of Congress. And the Democrats were never going to do it. So I think we uh, took a step in the right direction. No, that's uh, an excellent point you make. Just circling back to the you know classified documents that seem to have been in Joe Biden's possession, when I start seeing red flags like documents that have to deal with Ukraine and the UK, we all know that all roads lead back to Russiagate. I do think <laughs> there's going to have to be a lot of connectivity tissue in this next Congress and their ability to hold committees and run panels and have investigations. What do you think or say to Congress's ability to run, let's just say, multiple investigations at the same time, hold multiple committees or hearings on things that have happened or things they're investigating, like Merrick Garland, uh, like Christopher Ray and what's going on at the FBI, and, and connect those, like, let's just say, running multiple investigations and then bringing them all to a head at one point? Well, that's why there's multiple committees and subcommittees. All of these people have different mandates, and they should be acting on them. The Armed Services Committee has a separate mandate from the Judiciary Committee, which is a separate mandate from the Intel Committee, which is separate from the Foreign Affairs Committee. And I just named four committees. There's like 20 at Congress. Yeah. So all of these people, all of these chairmen and women need to spearhead the investigations that the American public wants done, whether it's at DOD or CIA or FBI or DOJ or where have you. And whether we're talking about Fauci or we're talking about the border or the CCP and Chinese fentanyl um, or the destruction of the FBI and DOJ uh, by political hacks, all of these people now have the staff and ability to run these investigations in parallel. And that's exactly what should happen. But the key to all of it is that they have to release the documents and the testimony they get on a rolling basis so that the online truth social sleuths can come in there and do the work that like we had them do during Russiagate or any other major investigation. Because at the end of the day, the American people are the best investigative tool we have, um, not just the pros sitting in Congress. And that's who they owe the material information to. And as long as they get it to them in a lawful fashion by using their subpoena power and putting out the information, then we'll actually see not just Congress holding people accountable, but the American public participating in that process and highlighting criminality and corruption that the people in Congress couldn't even see because they're too busy. That's how the system works at its best. And I'm waiting for these subpoenas and the subpoena machine to start. And it better start soon. And it better not be, a oh, we're not going to work with this Congress and we're not going to do anything. Our Republican leaders have to go in there and force the production of these documents and then send it right to the American people who they work for. And, and just to shore up a couple of things that you had mentioned there, I, I do like what you say as the urgence for them to get to work. It, it They've said it enough and for long enough, uh, it's time to really get down to it. I think we do have a lot of horses in the race here that are, that are really, you know, chomping at the bit to, to get in there and get these investigations underway and make them very public. We even had Thomas Massey, who's going to co-committee chair that with uh, Jim Jordan in regards to like the corruption at the FBI and weaponization of the DOJ saying that, you know, if they have to go into the skiff, it's not going to be like when Adam Schiff did it with President Trump, go in there, see whatever documents he was allowed to look at and then come out and say, Trump is finished. The walls are closing in. This is it over and over and over again. 
Tom Massey said, if he comes out and there are things in there at like illegal levels that the FBI and DOJ were doing, he will push to have them declassified and make them public to the American, uh, you know, uh, people as fast as possible, which I think is something that, you know, a lot of us take for granted. And we may see a lot more with this new Congress. In addition to that, giving President Trump the credit, like you said, he can't come in and just drop a nuke on Congress, figuratively, of course, because he doesn't have the codes at Mar-a-Lago, um, you know, <laughs> and, and just blow No, it. Millie has them. Yeah, of course. Well, when he doesn't lose them. Um, yeah. but, but the fact of the matter is, you know, we had a horse in this race. We we got a lot of concessions. And I like where you went and said they're not all concessions because a lot of the things we've reinstituted over the 118th Congress's rules is things that Nancy Pelosi removed over the course of her two stances as speaker. So we're just kind of getting back to normal and everybody's acting like it's a big shocker now that, uh, you know, we're putting these rules in place that were longstanding rules before she took over uh, as Speaker of the House there. So... Moving forward, it's going to be uh, hopefully pretty fast-paced. It looks like they're already getting ready to to start this uh, committee with Jim Jordan here on the weaponization of federal agencies. And then, obviously, they're going to get right to work on the border where, after you saw this weekend with Joe Biden and, and, and Mayorkas going down there and just putting on the dog and pony show for a completely cleaned-up El Paso, they got nothing done. And it seems like it just, you know, pissed everybody off more. You have, like, now the NGOs who pretty much work in hand with the federal government complaining, saying, like, this is a humanitarian disaster. By you saying it's not one, now we're not going to get as much money. Can you please say it's a disaster so you can continue to pay us to bring all these people in? So it's like now even the hand that's feeding them is starting to bite them because they're not giving them food fast enough. But, uh, yeah. Cash, last thing I wanted to weigh in on, and now at the start of the new Congress, we, we've got a speaker sworn in, we've passed the rules, so now it's time to get to work. What takeaways are we going to get now from January 6th? What did we learn and not learn at the end of the day with the last session of Congress and the sham unselect January 6th committee coming to a conclusion? And and what can we expect or at least hope for the new Congress to shed light on? Because even though it seems like a lot of the bigness of it, like the the actual non-select committee itself is going away, there's still people in jail. There's still narratives out there in the mainstream media. I saw a congresswoman three days ago on January 6th, literally do a post from the halls of Congress as she posed with everyone saying, this post and and time of remembrance is for the five police officers who were murdered at the Capitol on January 6th, which is stuff that is completely untrue, but they're allowed to continue to propri it in the news and, and, and on the left. So what would you like to see and what didn't we learn up to this point, aside from all the stuff you've, you've already dumped on this show? Yeah, I think the main thing we learned from the unselects is – uh, the power of congressional subpoenas. They set the playing field. Now we need to take that power that they defined and use it as a Republican majority and send it out and start subpoenaing the likes of Schiff and Swalwell and Kinzinger and everybody else on that committee who decided it would be a good idea to release thousands of social security numbers of people who are Republicans because they don't want them to succeed. The fact that this committee intentionally leaked under Benny Thompson that many social security numbers is not an accident. It's a maneuver out of Schiff's playbook, and we need to go and investigate them. And we still owe the American public so many answers on January 6th as it relates to the FBI's corruption cover-up network with their informants. Who is Ray Epps, and how long has he been on the FBI payroll, and how much money did they pay him? And he wasn't the only one. And what in God's name were FBI informants doing in the first place embedded um, with the uh, with the uh, folks on January 6th. It's absolutely outrageous 
that we had FBI undercover personnel and or sources on January 6th. And we don't know the beginning of it because this committee didn't care to investigate it. And how is it that Chris Ray, the director of the FBI, doesn't appear once in their 840 page report on January 6th? Did that guy even sit for any sworn testimony? Of course not, is my opinion, because he was part of the machinery to try to politicize law enforcement, detain hundreds of law of law abiding American citizens and get a political scalp for the mainstream media and the radical left agenda. There is so much work to be done, but we learned it from the January 6th committee. So let's pick up where they left off and let's use the powers that they defined very publicly that Congress and these committees have so we can get after the truth. Yeah, that's that's the fact of the matter there. You, I mean, it was extremely partisan in, in the way it was ran. Obviously, they buried a ton of evidence, stuff, receipts that you've produced on the, not only this show, but sh- everywhere you've gone, uh, you, Devin, and everyone else who's pretty much was close to the situation. You did mention the committee report, which is over 840 pages long. There's nearly 41 4,100 mentions of Donald Trump in that report, but as you <laughs> highlighted, zero for Christopher Ray, zero for Ray Epps, and 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 people who were key pieces of what went down on that day. And, um, you, you know, just do you think we have the ability, or are you hopeful that this Congress will get to work, rehash it open, and reinvestigate, uh, you know, from a more down-the-middle path and show the American public that this is not the narrative that they've been spoon-fed for the last two and a half years? They better. That's what they were hired to do. I mean, that's it. That's what the American people want, first and foremost, is the destruction of this two-tier system of justice and the internal accountability over the people that are corrupting our law enforcement and our intelligence community and our DOD. That is the number one mandate that we handed these representatives and this new Speaker of the House. So they better get to work. Um, And if they don't, we're going to be screaming at them uh, from every possible angle that we can. They know what they need to do. That's what the fight for the speakership showed, that the work and the prioritization of that work is no longer the everyday swamp machinery um, to turn the levers of Congress so that they can get paid. It's to do the work of the American people that they're there for. And if they don't, then we go out in a very public way and fire them and make sure we have other people. There are people there that will do the work. Now we just got to see if they're going to be let to do the work. And my, my response to that is they better be, or we're going to go over to Congress and show them how to run that place for the American people. Oh, that's it right there. And, uh, you know, we've highlighted a lot of people throughout the course of this interview, everyone from, you know, Christopher Ray and Joe Biden to people in Congress like Nancy Pelosi's, which brings me to my last point with you. You're already a best-selling children's author. You've put out two amazing books <laughs> that, that have shaped the narrative of politics for a whole additional generation and that's the younger generation the kids to be able to understand with your two novels obviously the plot against the king and the plot against the king 2000 mules you do have uh fortunately for all of our listenership a big boy and girl book coming out down the pike here soon you want want to tell our listenership a little bit about it today you've mentioned it on the show but we got a little bit more concreteness from you today yeah today's the the pre-sale it's called government gangsters and i like how you said it's a big boy and girl book Because when I say it's my adult book, people think I've entered the porno industry, which (laughs) I have not. Um, Governmentgangsters.com, pre-sale today. What I thought would be good for the American public and timely is to not just go out there and lambast the corrupt government actors at places like FBI, DOJ, and DOD 
across government and just say, oh, bad, bad, bad. But highlight the specific actions they took to impede the lawful actions of a commander in chief and violate the chain of command. And then call them out by name, them and their teams, and say this is the amount of hatred, if that's the right word, and vitriol that the deep state was willing to spew to combat the lawful authority of a president of the United States. But also, and more importantly, I think, rather than just highlighting these government gangsters, um, chapter and verse, literally, by agency and department, I show the American people in this book a roadmap on how to wipe out the deep state at every single agency and department and how to take back our government agencies and department for the American people. And that's the heart of government gangsters is that we have a roadmap in a, in a year of 2023 when we in Congress and everybody use a roadmap to seize our government back for our elect our priorities and to put America first. And that's the whole point of Government Gangsters. So if you go to governmentgangsters.com today, it's pre-sale. We're offering ship, free shipping. And more importantly, I'm personalizing books. So I'm not just signing them. If you want personal messages and stuff, you can go to governmentgangsters.com and order your copy today. Now, the question is, when does it release? Well, when the same government gangsters who are in the book decide to release the stranglehold of my manuscript, it's finished and ready to go to print. But as you know, as a government employee, they have to review it, and I'm using giant quote marks, and uh, we are demanding on a weekly basis that that be released. So hopefully it comes out um, by the spring, but uh, go to governmentgangsters.com and get your copy. Um, if you're feeling really lazy, you can go to Jeff Bezos' Amazon. Of course, it's got to be up there um, uh, for a simple simple order and, and get book numbers. But uh, we are up and running uh, with our friends at Plot Against the King and Brave Books at governmentgangsters.com, and you can get some fun packages, combo packages there. And um, shoot us a note. Let us know what you think. Uh, and uh, we will uh, we will adjust accordingly. No, and we will be live linking that in the show description today, not the Amazon link because we don't like doing it there. We'll, we'll do the uh, <laughs> governmentgangsters.com. And, you know, we always link Fight With Cash as well. Where can we find you on social media? Of course, there's only one place, but we're going to live link that in the show description as well. At Cash, Truth Social, at K-A-S-H on Truth Social. If you're not following uh, Steak for Breakfast, or as I like to call it, Elk for Breakfast, and at Cash, then you have no idea what's going on in the world, and you're just depriving yourself of the truth. And the truth is the only thing that our listenership gets every time he's on our show. Best-selling author, former chief of staff to the DOD, special assistant to President Trump. What else can this man possibly do between now and 2024? You'll probably hear about it on Steak for Breakfast and only on Steak for Breakfast. This is Mr. Cash Patel. Sir, thanks for joining us again on the show today. Thank you, gents. Have a great day. Take care. So we spent all week telling you about the fight on Capitol Hill over who's going to be the next Speaker of the House. Of course, at the beginning, the presumption was Kevin McCarthy was going to get the job. And then a group of his colleagues stood up and said, not so fast. And for a couple of days, they successfully held him off. Well, during that period, Kevin McCarthy decided to make some changes in the way he's going to administer the House and its priorities. And one of them is something that we've been talking about and certainly thinking about for quite some time, which is the creation of a committee modeled after the famous Frank Church Committee of the 1970s that will look a lot more closely at the influence of the FBI and the various intel agencies on domestic politics. They're not allowed to interfere in domestic politics. They clearly have been. And maybe Congress could get to the bottom of that. In fact, they're the only ones who can't. Well, 
Kevin McCarthy's going to do that. Looks like he's going to be speaker. And his plan, we have just learned, is to appoint really one of the most honest and dogged members of Congress. We'll just say it. Thomas Massey of Kentucky to head that committee, the new church committee run by Congressman Thomas Massey, who, by the way, joins us now to announce it. Congressman, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Tucker. It, it looks like I'll probably be on that committee, but I can't say that I will run it. Uh, I will say that, you know, while we've seen this drama unplay on the House floor behind the scenes, along with those people who uh, withheld their vote for Kevin McCarthy until they got the transformational changes in the House and the way the House works, uh, we were working with uh, to make sure that this church committee, a suggestion that you've had, and thank you for suggesting that I should be on it. I don't know if you're clairvoyant or just made the future happen, but it's happening. Um, we were making sure that this committee wasn't going to be fenced in, that it wasn't just going to be a show committee. We wanted to make sure that we have full jurisdiction, that if we stumble onto something at another three-letter agency, that they don't say, whoa, that's out of your jurisdiction. Or if we find out there's more than a violation of the First Amendment right, if there are other civil rights that are being violated, we've secured a guarantee that we can go wherever the evidence leads us. So everyone who's attempted this, and, and few have attempted it, but Frank Church certainly attempted it, and the Congress attempted it again in 1976 with their Special Committee on Assassinations. Those committees bumped right headlong into a wall of secrecy, and it drove a lot of them, those members, kind of crazy. Are you prepared for, for this honestly awesome task? I think we are, and we've been laying the groundwork for that. Uh, Dan Bishop, my colleague from North Carolina, and Jim Jordan, we've been talking to the Intel Committee, which has the authority to, to get all of that information. By the way, a lot of this is going to play out down in the skiff. You're going to have to trust the people that are put on this committee. And I'll tell you what, if there's something fishy going on, I'll come out of the skiff and tell you. Uh, but a lot of it will be behind closed doors. There'll be classified information. But if we find anything illegal or unconstitutional, we will bring it forward. Well, in, in your specific case, I believe you. And I am uh, I'm so grateful that you're doing this. And I really hope that if you find anything like that, to the extent you can tell us about it, you will. Thomas Massey of Kentucky, thank you. Well, jumping right back into it and, and picking up where we left off with uh, Christina Bob, it's... Um you know, very interesting to see some of these committees that were uh, agreed upon as, you know, part of the concessions. What do you think, Antoinette? We all know the original church committee kind of blew the doors off of the uh, corruption and really the dark sides of our federal agencies, the Department of Justice, obviously the FBI, uh, back in the 70s. And it seems like, you know, after a lull in that stuff and then kind of as society, we've we've gone and romanticized like these federal law enforcement agencies and, and justice. If you could just think of like, you know, primetime sitcoms that have dedicated years and series like everywhere from like Amazon Prime and Hulu all the way up to like the major cable news stations like, you know, CBS, NBC and ABC that have, you know, glorified these people as like really the protectors of everything in this country. It seems like we're back at a point now uh, to where that's not really what they're doing. And instead of going out and saving the day from like international terrorism and, uh, you know, real threats to democracy, they've, they've gone ahead and weaponized themselves against the American public who don't like the jobs that they're doing. And uh, having a committee with people like, you know, Dan Bishop and Tom Massey on it and uh, being chaired by Jim Jordan, which was just announced yesterday, it's got to give you a little bit of a more optimistic look at, uh, you know, getting into the bottom of 
how we've allowed our federal agencies, namely places like the FBI, to rot again in this country. What do you think? Well, I'm, I'm actually, I'm feeling optimistic about it, considering, you know, after these, like, last few days, seeing the progress and, you know, hopefully a lot comes from it and uh, the investigations that they're going to, you know, uh, deploy, bring back some more, you know, shed more light on the corruption that's been happening. I'm, I mean, now people are real, realizing the real terrorists are are these three letter agencies and people are waking up and then after the vote and uh, McCarthy getting in, that whole charade or how, how would you call it? Like show, I guess. Yeah. And open people's eyes to what's really going on. Now people are paying attention and they're going to expect results from McCarthy, especially and we'll see, but I'm optimistic. No, oh, I am too, and I think that, uh, you know, when, when you just kind of look at it on, on what it's supposed to be doing, it's it's really good for the country to have, you know, these kinds of conversations going on. Um, I, I did like how Massey put out there, you know, we've talked about it in extent, and some of the stuff that went on with Congress people like Adam Schiff, and, and it's good. I, I don't know if you heard or not today, but, Kevin McCarthy has confirmed not really one of the things that went into the concessions he made for the rules that would be the ones that are going to, you know, govern the 118th Congress, but ones that he made uh, in talking with a lot of people as the race for his speakership came to a head was he officially announced that Swalwell, Schiff, and Elon Omar are going to be removed from their committees. Uh, oh, especially, really? especially the ones that have to do with national security. I don't know if it's for all of them. Um, yeah, but that, today? Know, that was today. So I'm really, wow. You know what? I was after Trump, you know, said to vote for McCarthy and that he supports McCarthy. I knew that there is a plan and I felt like, you know, I know people had their qualms with McCarthy and I did my, as well. Obviously he has a track record. But I knew that there was something, you know, planned on his end. And this is really good. I'm now I'm even more optimistic. So let's see. No, you, you make a good point there. And I do think that, you know, one of the biggest things here is is how strong he's going to be. There was a lot of Congress people, even on the Republican side of the aisle. And we all know, you know, we talked about it with Christina in our cold open that Nancy Mace went around saying that, like, oh, I don't know if I could vote for this stuff. It seems like, you know, too few of people have had their opinions on how we're going to govern as a Republican majority Congress moving forward. But she did eventually fold and, and went and took, you know, what uh, the vote to pass it and. I think a lot of them, once once they got past the speakership, know that, okay, there was a group of 20, we need to give them all the credit in the world, but it did get down to a group of six that could make passing anything extremely right. difficult for anybody. And uh, if we don't move past like this, these initial phases of getting over these growing pains that we went through for over the last couple months, and but specifically more weeks, uh, then we're never going to be able to get to work for the American people. And I think that's the biggest, you know, kind of takeaway from it. And uh it's like we've reported widely on our show over the course of the last year more. If we if we wanted a different speaker than Kevin McCarthy, then we could have nominated one and had a a big national push to have them go head to head in the you know House chamber last week. But the fact of the matter is we didn't. So you know, and and because no one had the either courage or interest to step up and go against that you know large entity, yeah, that he's built with with his national money and all the different offices he has everywhere, and the fact that. Because he operates out of Washington, but is from California, he's pretty much coast to coast based and caters to a lot of the moderates. Uh, it was going to be nearly impossible to get a different Speaker of the House unless 
he withdrew his nomination, which when he knew how many votes he had, it, it was pointless for him to do it. So he, he wrote it out, but wound up making a lot of concessions. I think it's good and healthy that he did. Um, but, you know, there was a lot of other stuff going on throughout the course. I, I mean, I think one of the things we saw that, that was probably one of the funniest points of the, the entire Speaker of the House debate was how it almost got to like a royal rumble right before the last vote. And, uh, you know, the Alabama congressman, uh, Mike Rogers, came down the aisle and, you know, essentially everybody could read lips. He, he said, I'll fucking end you. That was like his quote and talking about probably his political career. But then we don't know. Maybe he meant as like from existence because his next move was to try and climb over people and jump on top of Matt Gates. Um, he got pulled back. It's like I, I was wondering maybe uh, I forgot what the other con was the um where was he from? The one that pulled him back and he put his hand over his mouth. I'm like, was he trying to shut him up from talking or saying something as well? Because why would he grab him in the mouth? Yeah, it's well, he couldn't grab him by the hair because everybody knows he wears a toupee. <laughs> and it literally, for how hard he put his, you know, tried to turn him away from Matt Gates, it would have came off. So, oh, been epic. The memes would have been glorious. Oh, they were I mean, good. They were good anyway. Yeah. No, I, I agree with you. But, uh, you know, Matt Gates was asked about it over the course of the weekend and, and have they, uh, hashed out some of their differences. Let's hear the congressman from Florida talk about it. There was a tense moment late night Friday night when Congressman Mike Rogers, expected to be the next chairman of House Armed Services, confronted you. You guys both serve on the Armed Services Committee. What was that all about? And are you guys going to be able to work together on armed services? Well, Mike Rogers is going to be a terrific chairman of the Armed Services Committee. And we share a deep commitment to our national defense, to our men and women in uniform. And of course, in a late night moment of high drama, people can have moments of frustration. But Mike Rogers and I have a six year productive uh, working relationship. We're going to work together wonderfully going forward. And I don't think there should be any punishment or reprisal just because he had an animated moment. He has my forgiveness and uh, certainly is someone who's done great things for our national defense and will continue to do those great things. Which I 100 <laughs> percent. Yeah. One, <laughs> yeah. To say the least. And I can. But you know what? It, it's nice. You know, uh, good for Matt because taking the high road. Yeah, exactly. No, we need we need more of that. We, we don't have enough of it in Congress and uh, time to waste. And we don't need to start, you know, losing people. I you know, listen, the guy deserves to lose his job and be ashamed to high heaven. But if he is a good congressman, water under the bridge, let's move on and see, you know, going down the road, hopefully bigger fish to fry. And I completely agree with you. One of the funny things, though, uh, you know, we wouldn't have seen that unless for the first time in a long time. Uh, for the entirety of like, you know, the whole speakership debate, C-SPAN was allowed back into the halls of Congress to to just pretty much, you know, they put the cameras on and just left them running. Right. So so where a lot of people uh, were sharing cell phone videos, because I don't know if a lot of people knew this, in between the time that the 117th Congress ended and the 118th was sworn in, a lot of the rules were kind of either tossed into the gray area or completely out the window which includes using personal devices to video record. I mean, everybody was recording stuff. And if we didn't have the C-SPAN cameras in there uh, during the debate, we wouldn't have caught that, I guess, what Matt Gates is now referring to as a very animated moment for Mike Rogers. But here's the thing. Getting back to work today in Congress, Matt Gates has proposed an amendment now to allow C-SPAN cameras in the hall of the House of the Representatives moving forward. So not only are we just going to get that one pan angle on, you know, who's ever talking, but we're going to have more 
let's look out at the crowd and see what's going on, who's maybe sitting in their chairs and what Congress people aren't moving forward. But I think it's a good idea to have that stuff going on. What do you think? Of course, I think the American people deserve to see who's doing their job, who's showing up and what's happening in our government because we're their boss. <laughs> These people never, never do anything. They're ne- they never go to work. They never get held accountable either. Exactly. So we need to see what's going on and more people are paying attention and more people want to see. So I think that's a great idea. Well, there was a lot of apologies going around over the course of the last few days. I think one of the ones who needed to get ahead of a lot of the narrative that he created was uh, Texas Congressman Dan Crenshaw, who not only said that, you know, the group of 20 and eventually the group of six was holding the entire process of democracy hostage. He referred to them and compared them to uh, al-Qaeda terrorists and the Taliban <laughs> throughout the course of it. So, of course, instead of going on any kind of conservative platform where he might get grilled a little bit, he decided to jump on with CNN's State of the Fake Union uh, wow. with Jake Tapper this weekend. But he was asked about those comments, and uh, let's fire up the garrison button because here comes uh, Eyepatch McCain. Oh, God. Things get heated and things get said. Uh, obviously, to the people who took offense by that, it's pretty obvious that it's meant as a turn of phrase. Oh, in the, in it's the, a metaphor. It, it's, not, it's in the context of intransient negotiations. I look. I, I've got pretty thick skin. I'm called awful, oh. vile things by the, kind of the very same wing of the party that 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 I'm fighting. I was fighting at that moment, so oh. I, I was a little taken aback by by the uh, sensitivity. Yeah, by the sensitivity of it, but. Um, to the extent that I had colleagues that were that were offended by it, I sincerely apologize to them. I don't want them to think I actually believe they're terrorists. It's clearly a turn of phrase that you use oh. in what is an intransient negotiation. Oh, gosh. Is he fucking serious? What a joke. You know, he was liking... He's going to walk it back. He's going to lose. He's going to lose his position. He's going to be out. I, I hope so, because I, I don't really enjoy him that much, and I would love to have oh, him not doing much it's pretty funny he was uh denied um he wanted to be one of the committee chairs he wanted to be on the chair that oversights uh the department of homeland security and we know how married he is to the military industrial complex and how dhs has kind of intertwined themselves with all that stuff whether it's the department of defense or fema dhs is like broad-bandedly cast themselves over just about every federal agency obviously we know the doj and fbi as well and uh, he was denied and, and got beat out for that for that <laughs> role. In in no surprises here, but it was good to see because uh, wonder if he punched any more walls. <laughs> isn't it weird that he had uh, the bruised up knuckles? Uh, they kept highlighting that. Yeah, uh, they were bloody, weren't they too? Yeah, it looks like a couple drywalls might have met their untimely demise up in the halls of Congress. There, I, I'd like to get some receipts on that. That that one picture floating around of that look that he gave Gates, it was like caption this i forgot who posted it but <laughs> the the captions were epic but it also there was also a good one too that said like that feeling you get when you try to take katie porter's french fries and it showed like her <laughs> eating and then it was a picture of dan crenshaw it looked like she bit his hand so <laughs> oh boy yeah it, it, it was it was a very incredible to watch something we haven't been treated to in in over 100 years when when you look at the amount of votes it took to get kevin mccarthy over the finish line but i think moving forward a lot of the things we need to talk about and start focusing on where these congressmen are going. One of our favorites here on the show, uh, Indiana Representative Jim Banks, I saw him jump on Fox News Sunday this weekend. He was talking about, you know, kind of getting back to the the basics and uh, 
having a lot of the committee rules, which we're going to talk about here in just a second, uh, changed up or brought back or some of the things that we had not experienced over the course of Nancy Pelosi's both terms as speaker. And uh, she dissolved a lot of them to take out the collective voice of the Democrat majority of the time. And, And we don't want that. We want room for open debate. And getting to the bottom of things uh, that don't include, like, thousands of earmarks and tons of porks and uh, Patriot missile batteries for Ukraine and stuff like that. When we have things like rampant crime, the fentanyl crisis, the open borders, the tanking economy, rising gas prices, and all of that other stuff. You know, Joe Biden's just—we've opened up another scandal on him regarding— Top secret information and classified documentation, so we're going to see where this is going. But let's hear the Indiana congressman uh, talk about moving forward. Uh, The rules package is before the House today. Uh, Kevin McCarthy, the new Speaker of the House, can only lose four votes on this. What do you think is going to happen? Well, we're going to pass the rules package. It's important. And and House Republicans remain united in doing everything that we can to make sure that there is never a Speaker of the House again who abuses their power like Nancy Pelosi abused her power over the last four years. And that's what this rules package does. That's why Kevin McCarthy, the new Speaker, supports it. And why rank-and-file members like myself support it, too. There are lots of rumors about what this rules package might or might not do. But at the end of the day, it empowers all of you as voters, it empowers your vote that that you uh, use to elect your representative to go to Washington and represent you. And that's a good thing. It's healthy for our democracy. And that's why Republicans are going to pass the rules package here in a couple of hours. And and they did pass that rules package, which was awesome. And, uh, you know, he brings up the point we were just talking about. There was so much stuff going on, you know, this, that, and the other thing with Nancy Pelosi just abusing her power over the course of... uh, her tenures that we, we didn't really get a whole lot done and we had no room for open debate. So Antoinette, I'm going to try to talk about some of these biggest points that were in that rules package. Um, and, and, you know, these are some of the either amendments, additions, uh, rebrandings or concessions that Kevin McCarthy made. And here's some of the highlights. Um, it will only take a single congressperson acting in what is known as the Jeffersonian motion to remove the speaker if he or she goes back on their word or policy agenda. I think this is one of the biggest ones that moderate Republicans, rhinos, and especially the left are like, oh, my God. But this is something that was common practice all the way up to Nancy's uh, you know, first term as the Speaker of the House. And she immediately removed and included in her first rule package that we can't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And you and I mean. You wonder why, right? It's so obvious. But I think it's great that it's back. Yeah, I bet you, you know, a lot of people say they just get in line, but I really do think the the members of the squad, if they could have whipped another half dozen Democrats, they really could have put Nancy's feet to the fire and not allowed stuff like this to move forward when, when she was the speaker. But it's things that we need to bring back. It's not like the speaker's not automatically removed. Obviously, there will be votes, there'll be nominations, and then an open debate on why this motion is being called to the floor. It's not going to be because you didn't like a decision Kevin McCarthy made. It's because he publicly publicly or included in the rules things that they said they were going to get done. And then he just said them to say them and isn't following through on his word. Uh, The next one was one we let off news one with, and that's a church style committee will be uh, convened to look into the weaponization of the FBI and other government organizations, including the CIA, the DOJ, and they are going to use a lot of the bylaws and original language used in the church committee, uh, which uh, was an investigation into the weaponization of federal agencies against the American people. I think that one's great. People like Thomas Massey and Jim Jordan, I think are probably the best to lead it. 
Um, they're at least going to be open, honest, and upfront with the American public about what's going on. Right. And probably classifying information, and, and we'll see what happens there. Term limits will be put up to a vote. There are reasons why we should have term limits. I also think there's reasons why we shouldn't. There's fantastic yeah. congressmen who have had long storied careers in Congress who don't necessarily get into the special interests and lobby groups and all that stuff. But there are ones, I mean, you know, for people like Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, those are perfect examples of why we need them. So right. I, I would hope, go ahead. No, I'm torn too between that because of exactly what you said, but it's hard. <laughs> You know, when you think about it, the ones that need to go like ASAP, that are literally. Yeah, I wouldn't mind like capping them, maybe five terms for a House representative and three terms for a senator. That would put them both around, you know, 12 to 15 years. But before they listen, the rules and progressions are supposed to be like, OK, you run for a House seat and you eventually run in a statewide election for senator. You run for a senator for long enough. You can either go one of two ways. You could go back and run for governor of your state or you could throw your nomination in to be a president or vice presidential candidate. You know, there's supposed to be a progression. Obviously, that's not for everybody. People are going to go on to work for lobby groups and think tanks and write policy and stuff like that. But the ones who just go to Congress, there's a lot more of them on, on the Democrat side. I'm just sorry. I'm pretty sure there are Republican ones. Mitch McConnell is obviously the biggest one we'll always point out. But you have people like Maxine Waters in the House and Nancy Pelosi in the House, Chuck Schumer in the Senate. This is for stuff like that. There's no reason why you should be like just a House member for 50 years just because oh. you're never going to lose your election and all you've done was line your pockets at the behest of the American people. Yep, agreed. All term limits will be put up to a vote. I like that, and uh, we'll stick with that one. And uh, the next, bills represented in Congress, there will be a single subject and not omnibus with all the attendant earmarks, and there will be a minimum of a 72-hour period to read each of them. Good, because who can read like 5,000 pages in, in an hour? <laughs> yeah, so no earmarks, no special interest, and then they could break it up. I believe the number they've been, they've been passed around is 12 different bills that can be broken down, uh, thinned out, and then voted on and passed to keep the federal government working for on the behalf of the American people. Good, I like it. The Texas border plan will be put before Congress is another one. Uh, the four-pronged plan aims to completely... To complete the physical border infrastructure, fix the border enforcement policies, enforce our longstanding rules in the interior, and target cartels and criminal organizations. Don't see anything wrong with that one. It was passed in the rules, and I like it. It's one of the most important ones, too. Yeah. Order. COVID mandates will be ended. Yay. In totality, and so will all funding for them. Boom. This, this includes the so-called emergency funding. So if now if you want vaccinations, go pay for them yourself. If you want COVID relief from anything that was, you know, earmarked to be longstanding and continuous in the COVID uh, relief bill, they're going to end, et cetera. And then the last one was budget bills would stop the endless increases in the debt ceiling, and we would hold the Senate accountable for the same. So essentially – not raising the debt ceiling just for the fact of we're printing unlimited money for no reason whatsoever instead of negotiating and, and getting a more balanced type budget uh, just because Mitch McConnell's going to pass it and throw it over to Joe Biden's desk. Uh, that stuff's going to end too. So I like those rules and concessions and I like the direction they're going in. Um, I think uh, we do got a little bit more. I did see, you know, one of the people who was most vocal throughout the course of this whole process was uh, Texas Congressman Chip Roy, uh, he was, you know, bringing the fire throughout the course of this whole debate. And, and, and it's one thing that we really needed to uh, highlight here. 
it was weird. He was on CNN, State of the Fake Union with Jake Tapper yesterday too. But, you know, he, he was talking about why the process that played out last week was something that we really needed to get to where we're at today, which is back to work already. Let's hear him. We're just uh, learning some of the promises McCarthy made, uh, capping spending at 2022 levels for fiscal year 2024, a subcommittee to investigate the Justice Department, more Freedom Caucus representation on important committees like the Rules Committee, a one-member threshold for a motion to vacate, which is what it used to be before 2019. What other commitments did McCarthy make that you can tell us about? Well, first of all, uh, you know, let's remember that uh, a little temporary conflict is necessary in this town in order to stop this town from rolling over the American people. I don't think anybody uh, on either side of the aisle could uh, say with a straight face that they think that Washington is doing uh, good work for the American people on a regular basis and isn't broken. Uh, it, we, we have to work to fix this place. And look, some of the tensions you saw on display uh, when we saw some of the, you know, the interactions there between Mike Rogers and Matt Gates. Uh, you know, some of that is we need a little of that. We need a little of this sort of breaking the glass in order to get us to the table and orders to fight for the American people and to change the way this place is dysfunctional. So this all started going back last summer. We wanted rules to open this place up. We wanted more transparency. We wanted more openness, more ability to add uh, amendments to the floor. So, for example, you ask, what else did we get? We got amendments to be able to um, I'm sorry. We got the ability to offer amendments on the floor of the House during appropriations uh, that will open it up again. We haven't done that. So since I've been in Congress, I've not been able to offer an amendment on the floor. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a, an amendment offered in open debate since May of 2016. Is it a free-for-all, like anyone can offer an amendment? Absolutely, within appropriations. Uh, we will also be striving for more open rules. Uh, we put uh, more uh, conservatives, uh, some Freedom Caucus members, and we're, we're still working through who those will be on the Rules Committee, the Powerful Rules Committee, which is the funnel by which legislation gets to the floor of the House. Um, But importantly, we were trying to stand up for rank and file members because too often, and we saw this in in December, uh, too often bills are cooked up with a handful of people. They're brought through to the Rules Committee, jammed through, put on the floor, and you have to vote yes or no. The American people are tired of that. We need to be able to see some of the stuff we got to see this week. You and I were talking ahead of time. Cameras, because C-SPAN control the cameras. Are you in favor of that? Because I love these C-SPAN cameras. Look, I I think drawing the American people into the conversations, the debate on the floor. I mean, if you're going to have cameras there, well, let's look at the action. Let's see. So you're in favor of transparency. C-SPAN gets to control it. Well, I would. Let me go look into the ins and outs of all of that. But I think it is what the American people were able to see unfold on the floor was a good thing for our democracy and our republic, right? It was a good thing for people to be able to see the inner workings. And this isn't just a shirts and skins, red and blue, you know, two-team thing. This is history because this hasn't happened in the last 100 years. But understand why that's so. Two-party entrenchment has made it to where we don't have a good back and forth yeah. to sit at the table and try to accomplish this. So, And that's the truth right there. He kind of, like, you know, laid it out a little long-windedly but gets to the, the nitty-gritty of what it is at the end, and that's – the deep-rooted special interests, the lobby groups, the vendors, the consultants, all those people have had their hands in, in both sides of the aisle's pockets. They've deep-rooted themselves into the way policy is dictated in the United States anymore. It's led to our, our out-of-control national debt uh, in addition to a lot of other things we don't adhere to uh, up in Congress anymore. Don't you think so? 100%. And I think moving forward, a lot of the the things we're going to uh, you know, be seeing is 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 a lot more bipartisanship, even though, you know, some of the special investigations, there are things, listen, we've already proved that the FBI and the DOJ and all of the 
the other agencies that are adjacent to them repress so many things in regarding the Biden crime family, the Hunter Biden laptop, uh, just conservative voices online in general. I, I think we need to have a more balanced debate on on why that happened and what it may have affected. Cash Patel talked about it now affecting like two presidential elections and probably two midterm elections and in, in you know that stuff being allowed to happen. Uh, we can't have that anymore. And then. Chipperoy mentioned, you know, looks like he's going to be on the rules committee, which I think is good. He's definitely into uh, not wasting money and putting more money where it should be appropriated, places like the uh, crisis down on the southern border. And we've come to find out that Byron Donald is going to be, uh, looks like he's going to be on the steering committee. He's also going to garner one of the votes. I don't know if you knew this, Antoinette, but Speaker of the House is uh, his vote in the steering committee, which is which legislation is going to go down the pike to be eventually voted on on the House floor. The Speaker would historically have five votes of value worth of votes when he votes on something, but his one of his votes now are going to go to an additional member, which would be Donald's from the House Freedom Caucus, and uh, he's going to get one of those votes there. So that's good in regards to uh, regulating some of these things. So I think uh, in addition to all the investigations into our weaponized federal law enforcement agencies and the DOJ, one of the things that's definitely going to be on the table uh, moving forward is we we did make quite a few threats about impeaching Joe Biden and people like Alejandro Mayorkas. And uh, speaking about him, Florida Representative Donald's jumped on with Maria Sunday, and uh, that's one of the questions she asked him about. So as we're getting ready to wrap news one here, let's hear him. Report impeaching Joe Biden. Oh, that's something that will happen. But right now, what we want to do is get to the process of going through the investigative of going through the investigations. Let me be very clear. What we witnessed when the Democrats were in control was that they picked a target, which was President Trump, and they did everything they could to try to damage him in any possible way. Still doing uh, it. What Republicans are committing to do is going through the, investi- the investigation process. We want the evidence to speak for itself. We want the American people to see that. And if the conclusions become clear that there are high crimes and misdemeanors that have been committed, then we'll be pushing forward with the next necessary course of action. But I don't want to make commitments to you today because we want the investigations to speak for themselves. We don't want to do what the Democrats did, which is weaponize the impeachment process for political purposes. We want to let the evidence speak for themselves. You have my commitment on that. And real quick, you feel that you will have a unified membership? I mean, let's face it. Look what you all just went through. 15 rounds just to agree on a speaker. You almost had a fist fight, we understand, uh, in the the chamber when uh, you had uh, Matt Gaetz uh, and... uh, uh, and, 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 of course, Rogers, uh, well, Rogers go at him. I don't know how true that is. Well, listen, 15 rounds actually sounds like the title for a good book. Uh, but here's what I will say about my conference. Yeah, there was high tensions in the room, no doubt about it. Um, listen, we've never seen anything like this since before the Civil War. We were making history yep. at the seat of our pants. Uh, But what's really happened here is the most deliberative process with respect to leadership in the House of Representatives. And what this means is our conference has been able to be stretched, tested. A lot of conversations were made. Some people who didn't really know what was happening have now started to see what's been happening. I think we're going to be a stronger conference for it. I was having a lot of conversations with a lot of different members in the Republican conference. And this is going to make us better. It's going to make us stronger. Uh, We have a lot of work to do. We have a Biden administration that must be held accountable. Don't think for a second, Joe Biden, I didn't see your silly little border plan because that is a joke. So we're going to get focused and we're going to get down to business. And I think this is going to make us a better conference overall. Yeah. And 
And uh, Speaker McCarthy said he's going to do committee meetings at that border. We're following it. We've got Greg Abbott and Carrie Lake coming up. And we'll hear from Greg Abbott and that debacle that was the dog and pony show down on the southern border uh, in our next news segment. But, uh, you know, very optimistic. It sounds like, well, Byron Donald's stock is starting to rise. Uh, I do like the fact that after, you know, a term or two, he's really coming to the forefront of not only the House Freedom Caucus, but but getting ready to, you know, make a name for himself in, in Republican politics. Uh, I do think based off of the totality of his resume and who he is and as he presents himself, he probably could win a statewide election at some point in the future, maybe for senator. I know Rick Scott's not going to be there forever, but that's neither here nor there. It seems like right now they're getting ready to go uh, straight to work, and it looks like, you know, they're going to be doing uh, quite a good job of doing so after a couple speed bumps, which we needed. It wasn't the process for Speaker of the House that we deserved. It was the one we needed, and, and everybody needs to understand that. So switching gears and looking to uh, take more of a focus on the U.S. southern border, the crisis down there, Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas's visit and talking points. Uh, with it, we're going to jump in right now. We've got one of the absolute best in the game, whether it's making documentary or, uh, well, documenting history across the United States. More specifically today, we're going to be talking about where he's doing it on the U.S. southern border. He's a field reporter for The Daily Caller. Joining us again, Jorge Ventura, thanks for coming back on the show. Hey, thanks for having me back, guys. Oh, it's always our pleasure. Listen, there are a lot of people who we talk to on a regular basis, whether they're directly tied to Donald Trump or they're in the business community, the economy, they're working on writing tech policy that are busy. But when it comes to really being busy, I don't think anybody uh, can hold the title better than you. You're all over the place at all times and uh, in usually very de- dangerous situations. How's everything's been going with you? Hope you had a great holiday and start to the new year. Yeah, I've been good, man. Um, got to spend the holidays with the family. Um, before that was heavy on the border because, you know, we were anticipating the ending of, of Title 42. Uh, but that didn't, that didn't happen. Um, so we were down in El Paso during, before actually the emergency was called. So when we, when we were in El Paso, it was hectic. I think they were averaging close to 3,000 illegal crossings per day. I was in the Mexican side of Cerro Juarez. And there was like, I think, 2,000 tents um, set up. You know, the downtown area was obviously filled with, with, with homeless. Um, so we were kind of doing that. After that, we headed to Yuma. We did some reporting on kind of like the, the human smuggling operation in Yuma that happens um, at two in the morning. And we were able to get the footage. Um, actually, I, I made it on, on Tucker Carlson. So it was really good. And in the holidays, got to, you know, spend it with the family and just left Denver, which Denver right now has a huge problem, too, because they have a homeless crisis and they have a whole um, they're having since early December, about 3000 migrants have been dropped off in Denver. Um, so they're basically just running out of local resources. Um, Denver, so far, city officials from Denver said that they're, they're, if the federal government doesn't reimburse them, they could be spending up to $3 million um, these next couple months just sheltering migrants every night. So it's pretty, it's pretty hectic right now. Wow. I'm going to try to walk our listenership through this because that's a lot of uh, points that you hit right now. Starting off at El Paso, we saw Joe Biden and Alejandro Mayorkas made their first trip to the U.S. southern border. First for Biden, and Mayorkas has been down there a bunch of times, even though he gets just absolutely hammered by the rank and file every time he does, uh, before they went on to their summit with Canada down in Mexico City. Talking to people on the ground there and and being someone who's literally lived through the entirety of this 
absolute crisis that's going on on the U.S. southern border. What can you tell our listenership? Uh, what don't we see on TV, whether it's like just the people wading through the very short parts, uh, the very shallow parts of, of, of the river, or, you know, some of the drone footage that shows people huddled outside of the uh, migrant processing centers. You're usually either directly there at ground zero or even negative on the other side in Mexico and oftentimes, which has been becoming an increasingly dangerous place to try and work out of as well. But what can you tell our listenership that they're not seeing on, on the news and what they're not hearing in the mainstream media? You know, what doesn't make it in the news every time is, is a migrant deaths on the border. So yeah. since, um, since Biden and Harris have, have basically come into office, there have been already over 700 migrant deaths, which is a record. There's no, there's no president that was even close to that. Um, I mean, I mean, you can only imagine the corporate media coverage of there was over 700 migrant deaths under a Trump administration, but that's a, that's another story. Um, so you don't, you don't, you don't see that. Um, especially the area that I really try to highlight is Eagle Pass, Texas. Eagle Pass, Texas is the deadliest crossing point, um, throughout the whole Southern border. And the reason that is, is because they got the Rio Grande right there. So you have folks jumping in that river and the thing is that river, it's very deceptive. So like, if you're just standing on the banks, you know, looking at the river, you're like, Oh yeah, I could, I could swim across this. Uh, but I can tell you from personal experience, because I go in there with the migrants when they, when they do this, um, you know, those, those currents sweep, you know, adults. I'm talking about grown men get swept by those waters. And um, I did an interview down there with some of the, the local law enforcement. And one thing they told me was that they were, before Trump came in, they were maybe averaging a drowning every six months um, in that area. Now they're, they're actually averaging a drowning per day. Um, I, I believe um, last year there was, a, there, was a, um, there was a day where they actually had like five drownings in a day. Um, and it's up, and it, the, basically the local fish on, on Eagle Pass got to pull those bodies. So you don't see like, you know, what you don't see on mainstream media is, is like these little towns having to like use all their local resources. Um, a lot of these little like border towns, like their, their law enforcement has to basically has to like assist border patrol agents as well. So, um, you know, I spoke with some local law enforcement in Eagle Pass as well that said that sometimes, you know, you could, you could get a call for domestic violence. But if you're, you know, if you're apprehending a group of 30 and you're waiting for Border Patrol to get there, you can't, you can't leave that, those group of 30 migrants to, to run into the public. Right. Um, so it's just a kind of an insane situation. Um, I mean, and, and it's different in all areas. You know, down there um, in actually Surah Juarez, Eagle Pass, a lot of the migrants that I interviewed there, they were telling me they've been, you know, extorted, sexually assaulted multiple times by not only cartels, but by the Mexican police. Um, you know, Biden Harris, you know, on the campaign, on the campaign show said that they would be the more humane administration when I'm in, you know, when I'm in, uh, El Paso and it's late December and it's below freezing and there's kids and women freezing out there. They're sleeping on the streets. You know, there's nothing humane about that. Right. And, you know, when I was out there, you know, city, it, you know, it wasn't the city of El Paso wasn't out there and like giving these folks blankets and, and all that stuff. It was, it was the locals. And then, you know, now that Biden visits El Paso, what do you see? You know, in 48 hours, it's the city that like clears out all those people. So um, there's nothing humane either from the migrant side, from the American side. Um, we're just losing an all front on this on this on this border crisis. Yeah, we certainly are, and. You know, we've seen a lot of these local law enforcement agencies and uh, not just the NGOs, but the local groups inside of these small towns really open up their homes, their hearts and, and their their very tight family budgets to try and make this crisis that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, Alejandro Mayorkas are all complicit in, in descending on the American people, especially the ones in these towns. Now, moving over to Tucson, you said there's been some big-time human smuggling uh, aspects to going on over there. That's been a pretty rough and wild place for the last couple of years since the Biden administration took over as well. What can you tell our listenership about what's going on in Arizona? Yeah, so Arizona is, 
I mean, it's probably it's it's the area that's hit it's really hit hard by criminal groups and human smugglers. And what what I mean by that is, um, in the Tucson sector, um, it's 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 number one in gotaway. So for the audience who doesn't know what a gotaway a gotaway is, is when when um uh, you know one of these illegals cross over and border patrol is able to detect them until either they see it or they you know they have like technology out there surveilling. They get them basically on the detection, but since they don't have no agents out there because they're overwhelmed and there's no one to apprehend them, um, they're basically in the country. So a gotaway is an individual that we have no information on. We know they're in the country. Um, the reason why you actually see like these big groups of migrants when they cross illegally, uh, they just wait for border patrols because they know that they'll get processed and released and, and all that stuff. But these individuals, the gotaways, they don't want to be apprehended by border patrol and processed because most likely they could be either running drugs in the country, connected to a criminal group. Um, they could actually also be individuals that have already been in the United States and committed a crime yeah. and then are looking to get back in. Bill Malugin of Fox News does a great job of, of reporting those individuals or like the folks who committed actually like sex crimes. Then they try to get back in the country. So Tucson leads all the sectors in gotaways. Um, the area that we've been able to report on heavy is, is, is Yuma. Now Yuma's not in the Tucson sector, but in Yuma, um, around two in the morning, they run this human smuggling operation. Um, and you can kind of see it on the Mexican side. They have smugglers run in. It's 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 pretty sophisticated. And what makes this this operation kind of unique is, um, you know, the migrants you run into could be from all over the world. So you'll meet folks from Peru, Brazil, Colombia, then all the way to um, Europe, uh, Ubekistan. I met Russians there, people from Afghanistan. Um, and this is a really sophisticated operation. It happens every single night, and they just overwhelm uh, the Yuma officials. Actually, Yuma County actually had to declare an emergency um, last month. So down there in Arizona, it's uh, their hands are very, very tight. Yeah, when you talk about the getaways as well, this doesn't just necessarily include ones that you mentioned, people who may have been previously removed or deported from the United States, ones who have been convicted of maybe federal-level crimes uh, while they were here before they were removed initially. This could also include with the uh, immense and diverse demographic of people coming from, you know, over uh, well over 140 countries now over the course of the last two years. This can include, like, people that are international terrorists or maybe spies for places like, let's just say, Russia or China that, that know if they get into some of the best and, and easiest ways to, to avoid apprehension that they might be able to get into the country and join other longstanding criminal entities that, that are here already. Is that correct? Yeah, we are, under Biden and Harris, we actually already had a record number of individuals that were, that were um, on the FBI like terror watch list, and they've been caught trying to um, come into the border illegally. I think the last number I saw was up to 98. And I mean, that's, it's just, it's, it's, it's just completely crazy to see everything. I mean, it's, you know, under Biden and Harris, it's a record number of apprehensions, record number of gotaways, record number of individuals in the FBI watch list, record number of fentanyl seized at the border. Um, it's, there's, there's no, there's no winning battle right now. And, um, you know, when you speak to the locals in, in, in El Paso, I think they were, you know, they were very disappointed that the president saw a very sanitized version yes. and that he didn't even, uh, kind of hold like a, you know, kind of one thing, one thing they really wanted to, and they kind of alluded to was that they wanted kind of like a town hall form, right? They wanted to voice their concerns, what they're seeing every day with the president of, of the United States. Um, there's a reason El Paso had to declare an emergency. And, and I mean, also to add, the, the Biden administration didn't want the mayor of El Paso to declare an emergency. They knew that that optics, it was going to look bad. Um, but at the, the mayor got to the point where he was basically forced to. Um, so that's where, like, the folks are down there are disappointed. And one, one point I always kind of make is, like, even from a political standpoint, 
it doesn't even make sense for Biden not even to address these people's concerns because all these border towns, majority of the time, are overwhelmingly Democrat voters. Yeah, um, these aren't Republican towns, you know, right on the border. Um, so just even from the political standpoint, it makes no sense to even address the, the, his own voters' needs. Are you optimistic that this new Congress that's getting sworn in with their new rules, which which included uh, in the concessions that Kevin McCarthy made over the weekend, does include a component of immediately addressing the problem on the U.S. southern border and could lead up to, after investigations, the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, who a lot of people don't know. We've kind of broken it down, uh, his entire biography on the show. His mother is an immigrant who fled Europe under the guise of communism. She landed in Cuba and lived there until Castro came over. Alejandro Mayorkas was born in Cuba and came over on a boat to the United States and now is sitting as the head of the Department of Homeland Security, a cabinet member in the Biden administration, and is going and removing people like Cubans who historically vote red uh, from the United States and returning them to Cuba, which means they could be under some of the most, well, up to including death, which basically happens. If you get caught leaving and get sent back to Cuba, it's not like they're just going to release you back to your families and say, okay, don't do it again. Um, but but just to see the level of of just absolute hypocrisy here based off of his personal experiences and how he grew up his management of this crisis throughout the country right now. You know, I have to wait on the, on the house, you know, anything could kind of happen in, 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 in politics. If it could lead to an, an impeachment, that would be, I think very, very interesting. Um, what I think is actually going to have more of an impact is mayor of New York, mayor of Chicago, um, basically mayor of these Democratic cities complaining to the federal government, complaining to the Biden administration because they're led by Democrats. And now, see, it's one thing for Biden to get attacked by the right on the border. Right. That's pretty normal for, for, for Dems. But once it's it's his own party and their leaders, you know, basically trying to alert, the, you know, President Biden said, hey, we need help. We need federal reimbursements. I think he's feeling more pressure from his side. And I think, I mean, I'm just speculating here. I don't have any information. So I'm just speculating. I think that's why he, he actually visited the border. Um, is because, first of all, the mayor of New York and the mayor of Chicago, um, Adams and, and Lightfoot, they wrote letters to the Colorado to Colorado's governor, which is a Democrat, to stop busing migrants to their cities. And Denver <laughs> is busing migrants to their cities yep. because the Catholic NGOs down in South Texas are overwhelmed. So they're busing migrants to Denver. So now you have all these major cities, basically, you know, they, they obviously can't keep up with the influx. Um, they're asking for federal reimbursement. And I was actually shocked by this one. Then you had um, uh, Gavin Newsom, obviously a Democrat. Even he actually came out. He, he actually went to the border and, and actually made a video saying, "We, you know, California can't, can't afford the lifting of Title 42. We're at capacity as well. So he's getting attacked by his own party. I think that's going to have more pressure than, than, than the attacks on the right. Yeah, no, you make a whole lot of sense. It's one thing when we see uh, Greg Abbott or the Attorney General Ken Paxson from Texas go on national television on a weekly basis and talk about the crisis down there. But when you have Eric Adams and Muriel Bowser going on like the Sunday morning news circuit, which is watched by an overwhelming majority of the left, and they're talking about the problems there, the infrastructure that's breaking down, the contributing uh, elements to crime and homelessness and drug use because they can't afford to take care of all these people, how it's overwhelming hospitals. Not like it did in COVID, which wasn't really the case, but now hospitals are really getting overwhelmed because they're getting busloads of people, which is which is what I want to touch on next. It's like ground zero for essentially a non-border city in Denver, Colorado, of what's going on there. This So many migrants are getting sent there. You're essentially saying that it's like bankrupting the local government and causing like out-of-control chaos? Yeah, so what's interesting is, um, you know, so I, I went to Denver 
And since early December, 3,000 migrants have been dropped off in Denver. And these are not um, Greg Abbott buses. So these are not like, you know, Abbott just sending buses directly to Denver. These are actually NGOs and kind of Catholic churches down at the border. So when Border Patrol is overwhelmed, they basically hand off these migrants to them so they can kind of coordinate travel. So because those those organizations are also overwhelmed, they're busing migrants to Denver, just sending, just sending buses. And you literally have migrants dropped off with nowhere to go. And on top of that, for folks who don't know, Denver right now is actually dealing with kind of their own um, homeless issue, kind of ho- homeless crisis. So basically you have a homeless crisis. Now you have basically over 3,000 migrants. And these migrants are using up homeless resources. They're staying at the shelters. I, I, I went there and I interviewed them. Um, most of the migrants I interviewed, I would say 90%, were from Surahuars, and they crossed illegally into El Paso. And some of them have just got there like four days ago, um, and they're just kind of roaming the streets. They're basically trying to look for jobs. Many of them are like plowing snow for like businesses, but they're using up all the local resources. So right now, Denver has already spent over $1 million. Wow. Right now, they're trying to alert the Biden administration that, hey, we need a federal reimbursement for this money because this is a federal government issue. Uh, we haven't, we haven't, so far, I haven't heard anything or, or read anything that, um, that Biden is going to fulfill that reimbursement. I don't know. I don't even know if they even know about it yet. Um, and then basically city officials are saying that if they don't get any help soon, they could be spending up to $3 million in just sheltering migrants. So right now they're sheltering between 1,500 to 16 migrants per night in Denver on top of the homeless issue that they already have to deal with as well. How complicit are these NGOs in like the big scheme of things here? This was something that the Trump administration uh, throughout the course of trying to regulate the crisis down on the border definitely pointed out. Not only do they operate kind of freely and, and, and weirdly, they get money from like, okay, so people will go to the federal government and lobby on behalf of money. And then when these lobbyist groups are able to acquire money, they'll funnel it to the NGOs to make this process way faster than it ever could have been before it really started to kick off maybe a decade ago and, and reignite again. The fact of the matter is they're also allowed to operate freely in a lot of these foreign countries. And, uh, you know, we are no longer getting the best and brightest. I would say an overwhelming majority of the people who are coming to claim uh, asylum in the United States are from very rural parts who are looking for uh, economic benefits and, and, and a better life, which a lot of people in the world feel that they're entitled to. But the fact of the matter is it's gotten to such a, a huge number now uh, that it's causing problems from top to bottom, especially in the interior of the United States, where you didn't hear about it as historically. But but getting back to these NGOs, this is something that has spiraled kind of out of control in regards to their overshadowing of the entire migrant crisis across the uh, the whole hemisphere, essentially. What, what do you think when it comes down to, you know, maybe pushing back on some of the ways they're able to freely operate? Yeah, the, the NGOs play a, a huge part in the transportation. Um, some NGOs get, you know, they get literally reimbursed by uh, the federal government. That's why you kind of see, you've seen those viral videos where, you know, um, folks were flying to the El Paso airport and you just see like hundreds of people sleeping on floors. Um, yeah, that, that, those are the migrants being literally just being flown out. It's, it's, it's all connected to that. The bigger issue is, um, and what it's maybe not talked about as much, is United Nations and, and Red Cross down there in Mexico and in those Central American countries. You know, they're out there actually literally giving people maps on how to get to the border. Um, not only that, but um, United Nations um, has also given these folks like debit cards with yep. basically, you know, with, with money on these cards loaded up. Um, so they've been actually coordinating a lot of that, a lot of that travel. Um, and, but they never, you know, they, they've never suffered from it. I believe I, I got to check the number, but I know I think our U S government donates to like United Nations or whatever. Um, but a lot of these NGOs, kind of these, 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 uh, these charities coordinate a lot of the travel, a lot of them actually teach the migrants kind of like 
almost how to make up some stories or how to like maybe have a better chance of getting asylum. Ninety. Uh, one thing that you made a good point, but you know, like ninety percent of these people coming are economic migrants. So I mean, they don't even they they wouldn't even qualify for asylum. So even when you you know even when you're reading mainstream media and you hear the term asylum seeker, um, I mean that's also kind of that's also not, not not really being honest with the American people that these are economic migrants and you know a very few are really are, are going to qual- qualify for asylum for if, if it's really you know political persecution or any or any of the other reasons that would qualify for it. But these are economic migrants, um, literally flooding the border. You know the NGOs, Courtney, a lot of the travel. I mean, literally, you have a city of Denver, which I mean, there it's a Democrat governor yep. and mayor there, and you know now they're actually getting hit and feeling. <laughs> feeling kind of the, uh, the impact of, of the NGOs because it's the NGOs from Texas sending all those migrants to Denver. And then, I mean, they're, they're not only doing it to Denver, they're, they're doing it to other major cities um, across the U.S. So I think things are going to get interesting um, as these major cities continue to feel the impact. And, and one thing is also to remember just, just in context on, on this point is that, you know, if, if you have a major city like Denver and they can't handle 3,000 people being dropped off, I mean, what do you think? You think Del Rio, Texas could handle that? You think Eagle Pass, Texas could handle that? You think Yuma and like all the La Jolla, McAllen? I mean, they can't. I mean, obviously they can't. But it's just it's interesting now to see these major cities not handle this this influx when these board towns are literally getting hit by those numbers every day, every month, depending on on which board town speaking of. That, that that's the funny part about it. There, the hypocrisy that everyone who wanted to identify in their uh, city or state pronouns as a sanctuary city over the course of the last decade, a lot of them are now regretting it when they're actually feeling the bite. Uh, not only in just the physical presence of these people, but in the wallet, especially when it comes to like funding their local uh, and state governments and how that whole process works. Jorge, you're always one of the busiest people that we talk to on the show, but but you're always doing great work. So as you're getting ready to uh, you know hit the road again. What's next on the agenda for you? Where where are people going to be finding you, and where are you going to be reporting from in the uh, very near future? Yeah, so right now I'm, get, I'm I really want to get back into the um, illegal marijuana operations that I was I was reporting on last year. I've been so kind of border focused after we did Narcofonia, which is the kind of part two to Cartelva, which we focused on Northern California. Yep. Um, I actually had a lot of folks contact me from. Uh, Southern Oregon. So Southern Oregon is another area that's been impacted by these illegal grows. A lot of folks actually that, that, that work in the Northern California area. I mean, they, they, they transport, go back and forth with supplies and, and, and people from Southern Oregon to Northern California. So there's a, there's a bit of a connection there. Um, so we're, we're, I'm trying to do some reporting back on that again. Um, I'm trying to get also back to Indiana and Ohio. We're going to be kind of doing some stories on kind of communities that have been really hit hard by the fentanyl crisis and, just kind of giving a voice to kind of those working class towns that really, you know, really hit hard by this stuff. Um, so we're kind of in talk, we're in contact right now with some residents, uh, law enforcement, medical staff. Um, I think that that's going to be some really interesting stories and um, obviously still covering the border and kind of anything breaking in national, um, you know, the news is crazy, right? So it, it changes kind of any, any day and anything could happen anytime. No, it's, it's, it certainly is. And, and we'll be looking to have you on in the near future. Uh, you could tell by all the information you just gave us, but based off of your field reporting, that's whole one element. And, and for those who are just listening or newer listeners to the show, we're going to live link everything in the show description today. You got to check out some of the additional work he's done on, on the cartel activities that's, that's in the United States and parts of California. Like he said, he's getting ready to investigate things in Southern Oregon and then be making trips up to places like Ohio. You, you, it will blow your mind about the things that operate sometimes maybe even close to your backyard, and you have no idea it's going on. Jorge, where can we find you on social medias? Yeah, the best places right now, um, Twitter, 
uh, Ventura Report. So my last name, Ventura, and the word report together. Um, that's on Twitter. So, you know, anything breaking, obviously, I'm doing there. And if you're on Instagram, Instagram is a great place. I'm always posting everything I'm doing, you know, so, so you get, you know, get full stories, interviews with folks. Um, and I'm always kind of posting, you know, interesting articles that I'm finding online and sharing them there. So those are two places. And on tw- on Instagram, it'll be Jorge Ventura TV. Um, so, yeah, find me there. Check out the good work. It's a, it's, it's a lot of great front frontline reporting. And, you know, always just share it, you know, share it. Um, a lot of folks are kind of looking for new for new way to, to kind of get the news now. Well, it's been a pleasure sitting down with you again. We'll live link everything in the show description. You know we're always sharing your work at, on Instagram and Twitter. This is a field reporter for The Daily Caller. Mr. Jorge Ventura, thanks for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me on. Take care. Border that he's left open for the last two years. Yesterday he went to El Paso. I know you have people every day, but I'm trying to get a sense of the flow. So Joe Biden didn't see any foreign nationals living on the streets of El Paso because like Baby Doc or any other dictator, he just had them removed before he got there. We're not making that up. We can prove it. You're seeing the pictures before and after Joe Biden's visit on your screen right now. Now, White House spokesman John Kirby, one of the most dishonest people in American life, was asked about this today. Here's his non-answer. There's reporting that El Paso has cleared the downtown of these expansive migrant camps that have grown there in advance of the president's arrival. Is the president going to see a sanitized version of El Paso when he arrives at the border on Sunday? The president's very much looking forward to seeing for himself firsthand uh, what the uh, border security situation looks like, particularly in El Paso. (laughs) <laughs> How can Kirby live with himself? What a liar. Stand up for the country for once. Irene Armendariz Jackson is a native of El Paso and is the president of the Border Security Coalition. She's married to a Border Patrol agent. She joins us tonight to assess. Thank you so much for coming on tonight. So you you are from El Paso, which is one of the great cities in this country, in my view. It's really been hurt by an open border. How's How did you respond when you saw the White House team clean it up just for Biden's arrival? Well, it just exposes one more time the hypocrisy and the lies of this administration. Nothing that comes out of that administration should we believe. You know, when they say stay, I go out and look at a window and make sure that it is day because I absolutely do not believe anything they they say. So when he said that he was coming to see for himself, we already knew what they were going to do because they did it when Mayorkas came. They did it when Harris came. Why wouldn't they do it when Biden was coming? But you have to live there. It's your city. I mean, they leave, but you're still there. Absolutely. How does that feel? Absolutely. Well, it's a slap on the face. You know, we are uh, in the midst of a crisis. We see it every day. So I'm standing in one of the epicenters where there was people sleeping everywhere. Around the corner is the Chihuahuita Street, which is where all the photos that you see. But here you see some drone footage as well. And there were sleeping almost right on top of each other. There's another location as well. So as soon as we heard that he was 
coming. I hurried down here and I made sure that I took those last pictures and, and so we could prove to America that Biden was not coming to see the reality of the border. He was coming to see a sanitized, a clean El Paso and not only shame on the administration, but shame on our repre representative Veronica Escobar and shame on our mayor for allowing this to happen. What was the price that they promised them to be exactly. able to clean this up and make Biden look good? And I think that's the, yeah, that's the biggest takeaway uh, from Joe Biden's visit down to the U.S. southern border this week. He, he made it all the way to the fence. That's confirmed through some of the, you know, video and still photos that we sh have seen. But the fact of the matter is he wasn't allowed to ask, uh, you know, the members of the press weren't allowed to question him at any point. It wasn't the usual, like, everybody screaming everything at him at the same time. Like, none of that was allowed to happen. And uh, you had some of the highest tiers of, of like, the border con uh, patrol management walking him around the people who are not the rank and file, the people who have not lived under these conditions and worked under these conditions since the start of this regime here up in Washington, D.C. that have seen like uh, murders off the charts, suicides off the charts, crime off the charts, high speed chases and crashes, just disaster after disaster off the charts. And that's kind of what we're all living with in regards to Joe Biden and, and his border uh, crisis management or lack thereof. What did you think seeing the uh, president make it down there for the first time and how nice, neat, and cleaned it looked over the weekend, Antoinette? I mean, I expected that to be the case, to be fair. Like, they weren't going to show him anything. It's really their MO. Yeah, and they were going to give him, uh, you know, just about whatever he wanted as, as in regards exactly. to to optics. Um, you know, President Trump got out ahead of this. He put out a video uh, over the weekend, one of his 2024 campaign platform uh, speaking points, rehashing some of the items he's already put out on the border in regards to the crisis down there. Let's hear the 45th president weigh in. A colossal migrant caravan recently poured across the Rio Grande and into the streets of El Paso, Texas, and the people and the police didn't know what to do about it. It is truly a massive invasion. Any form of amnesty now would be a catastrophe. It rewards Joe Biden's lawlessness, and it rewards the criminal cartels, and it rewards everyone who has broken the laws of our nation because they've never done anything to our country like they're doing right now. Our country is being poisoned. Remember, our border is not open because of insufficient resources or legal authorities. Our border is open because Joe Biden has ordered it to be open, and because Biden has broken the law and torn it into shreds. He has shredded our system, and he's destroying our country. Biden inherited a flawless deportation system that was working like never before. In our history, we never did so well on the border as we were doing just a short time ago under the Trump administration. Giving Biden more resources will simply translate to even more releases because that's really what they have in mind. Yes, it is. And, you know, the fact of the matter is there. Um, it seems like maybe people on President Trump's team, we do have a lot of them on our show often, are starting to uh, get that amnesty bug in his ear because I know there's only one place anyone's been talking about it uh, for a greater part of the last at least six months, a lot more now, and that's here on Steak for Breakfast. We did see after the massive amounts of legislation that he's been able to ram through uh, with the help of people like Mitch McConnell, it seems like the only thing left besides some minor, you know, 
trinkets to add to his collection here or there would be uh, uh, the Biden amnesty bill, um, which would be a huge Democrat uh, vote getter heading into the 2024 general election cycle, which he has all but officially announced that he's going to be a part of again. Don't, don't you think that's coming down the pike, Antoinette? I think so. Really hard to uh, even be able to rationalize it, but it seems like that's one of the things that um, we're definitely going to be dealing with uh, moving forward. So I saw former uh, DHS director Chad Wolf was up and uh, out doing the Sunday morning circuit this weekend. He was talking about Joe Biden's visit and the amount of people who have come in uh, over the course of, of this past year. Let's hear uh, him weigh in on it. We are advocating for is amnesty. Uh, what he put forward at the beginning of his administration, of course, then he mentioned uh, Senator Cinema and Senator Tillis. They are talking about amnesty for three million people. Someone needs to explain to me and others on how amnesty equals border security. The two have nothing to do with one another, and yet they are conflating the issue and somehow trying to convince the American people that if you give amnesty to three million people who have been here for years and years and years, mm-hmm. that somehow that's going to stop 230,000 people coming here every month. It's disingenuous. It's dishonest. And I I get fired up over that because it's not it's not going to solve the issue. Well, no, and it's not reality either. That's that's the, the biggest portion of it. Like not only does granting or even proposing a massive amnesty bill uh, legitimize any of the help that they need down on the U.S. southern border, it seems like it does nothing but incentivize, uh, you know, for all those people who are thinking about coming up or, or who are staged in, in countries south of the United States, including Mexico, like, hey, listen, it's now or never. I, I would think it would make the border rush even bigger, don't you? Yeah, definitely. They know that the window is closing. Yeah, because at some point they are going to pump the brakes on this. And, uh, you know, they it's pretty, yeah. We're going to drown if, if it doesn't happen. I'm just fearful that part of the Biden regime's negotiation tactics in regards to locking down border security would be like funding the things that need funding and doing the things that we need to do to lock the border down more in return for at least listening to the argument on amnesty. And once you get that ball rolling, it's almost like the toothpaste you can't put back in the tube. So Texas Governor Greg Abbott, who's been a harsh critic and thorn in the side of the Biden regime, everything from suing them on, on a regular basis via, uh, you know, his attorney general to busing migrants to the front doors of people like Vice President Kamala Harris was waiting for Joe Biden on the tarmac. He was one of the only mainly because he is the governor of Texas, so you can't pretty much shun him. Uh, people in uh, con- conservative view who were allowed to meet with or interact with Joe Biden during his visit there. We know that congressmen uh, who are elected Republicans were not either invited or told they were not going to be a part of Joe Biden's visit. But Greg Abbott wasn't backing down. He, w- he was hammering Joe Biden literally as he was stepping off of uh, Air Force One. Let's hear him. So this, the, the president who caused the chaos of the border needed to be here. It just so happens he's two years at about $20 billion too late. Yep. He needs to step up and, and take swift action, uh, including uh, reimbursing the state of Texas for the money that we spent, but providing more resources for the federal government to do its job. Also, this is nothing but for show unless it begins to enforce 
the immigration laws already that exist in the United States of America that are contained in the letter that are provided to the president today. What did he say to you? What did the president say to you? He said he wanted to work with us on it. So he was And we all doubt that that's going to happen. Um, I don't see it happening. Governor Abbott mentioned a letter. It was a strongly worded letter and, and one probably that Joe Biden's received on more than one occasion, which kind of outlined the same things. The destruction of El Paso, the two years and $20 billion short, um, you know, everything that's going on. And then uh, it, it kind of ends. I think you're going to like this part. So is our listenership. And this is one that we saw Joe Biden walking around with. Greg Abbott pulled it from his jacket pocket, folded it in half and handed it to him on the tarmac. And here's the last uh, sentence there with some bullet points. All of this is happening because you have violated your constitutional obligation to defend the United States against invasion through uh, faithfully executing longstanding federal laws. Halfway through your presidency, though, I can finally welcome you to the border. When you finish up with the photo ops in a carefully staged, managed version of El Paso, you have a job to do. That includes bullet point one. You must comply with the many states mandating that various categories of aliens shall be detained and the end of practice of unlawfully paroling aliens into the United States and mass. Bullet point two, you must stop sandbagging the implementation of the Remain in Mexico policy and Title 42 expulsions and fully enforce those measures as the federal courts have ordered you to do. Third bullet point, you must aggressively prosecute illegal entry between ports of entry and allow ICE to remove illegal immigrants in accordance with existing um, federal laws. Bullet point four, you must immediately resume construction of the border wall in the state of Texas using the billions of dollars Congress has already appropriated for that purpose. And the last one, you must designate the Mexican drug cartels as foreign terrorist organizations as that's what they are. On behalf of all Americans, I implore you, Secure our borders by enforcing Congress's immigration law. Sincerely, Governor Greg Abbott, governor of Texas. So it wasn't a nice, warm welcome for Joe Biden from Greg Abbott, nor was was the letter uh, intended to warm the relations between either one of them. But uh, that's kind of where we got started in regards to Joe Biden's visit, which was, like you said, very staged and, and for the most part, a photo op. Um current Department of Homeland Security uh, chief, someone who's looking to be under the crosshairs of investigations and probable impeachment, um, Alejandro Mayorkas, did the Sunday morning news circuit. He was on, well, this fake week with George Stephanopoulos uh, ahead of meeting Joe Biden on the border. And uh, they were asking him questions about, you know, what's going on here. And you know, he gave the typical answers that we usually only hear on this show. He doesn't have the data. It doesn't mean the, the narrative doesn't mean reality and, and stuff like that. Let's hear him as he starts to uh, get into it and break down the border visit. We saw Greg Abbott in the piece there. He calls this a Band-Aid, and he says you need to be adding more funding and resources to border enforcement right now. Well, uh, Governor Abbott uh, is not collaborating with the federal government on an issue that requires collaboration. We cannot have the rights and the needs of individuals who are seeking humanitarian relief in the United States be exploited for political purposes. We cannot have unilateral governor action that is not coordinated with the federal government to address uh, an issue that is of national importance. Oof. Yeah, so I, I I don't even remember 
saving that clip for the show, but when you when you get down to the normal talking points that he usually gives, it's the Republicans' fault and uh, the reality does not meet the narrative that Greg Abbott is proprieting. So okay. I, I think that, uh, that that's pretty funny and uh, yeah. pretty status quo for him. And, you know, uh, we teased it going into talking about him, but like I already had mentioned, uh, impeachment is definitely going to be on the docket for Alejandro Mayorkas. Stephanopoulos would continue throughout the course of this interview and, and ask him about that. Let's hear this. As of yesterday morning, Kevin McCarthy is Speaker of the House, and back in November, he suggested that you might be impeached if you don't resign. Here's what he said. If Secretary Mayorkas does not resign, House Republicans will investigate every order, every action, and every failure will determine whether we can begin impeachment inquiry. What's your response to the Speaker? I am joining the president today uh, on his visit to El Paso, Texas. I've been to the border quite a number of times. I'm joining the president at the North American Leaders Summit in Mexico City uh, to work with our partners in Mexico and Canada to address the security of the homeland. I've got a lot of work to do. I'm proud to do it alongside 250,000 incredibly dedicated and talented individuals in the Department of Homeland Security, and I'm going to continue to do my work. So you have no intention of resigning? I do not. I've got a lot of work to do, and we're going to do it. Are you prepared for the investigations? I am. I will be, and I'll continue to do my work throughout them. Oh, bringing on is probably not the way you want to address no. this 118th Congress after the, uh, you know, after, listen, if Mike Rogers is going to run down the aisle and, and be coming after somebody with a steel chair, I wouldn't mind, mind it being Alejandro Mayorkas when he's up in uh, congressional inquiry later this year. Um, and, and that's just kind of the narrative that he's continued throughout the course of his tenures. I mean, he ran into the same issues at CIS and I kind of see this going as soon as the investigation starts to blow the lid off of all the administrative things he's done to, um, you know, circumvent the law, create new ones without due process and then, uh, ignore, um, you know, rulings from, from the Supreme court and the, uh, the other courts throughout the country, federal courts have made rulings on things like title 42, uh, you know, it's going to be a very difficult time. And as we're getting ready to round up here, I saw Jim Jordan. He was on Fox News Sunday also this weekend, was talking about some of the Trump era policies and how much, you know, they uh, tied the whole border issue together and really started working towards a comprehensive solution. Because, listen, we did not see final form Trump border era policies because of all the you know problems he ran into with Congress and, and, and members of the uh, House of Representatives, the Senate and stuff like that. But. The fact of the matter is we were on a very good path. Uh, Congressman Jordan highlights it here. Let's hear him weigh in on it and talk about it. Weeks ago. So for two years, they had the House, they had the Senate, they had the White House. Why in the world? Why in the world didn't they get an immigration solution? Joe Biden refused to visit the border when they controlled all of government to talk about any type of solution. And they've allowed now, frankly, a situation where we no longer have a border. And what they did, and he did it from day one, is they undid the good policies President Trump had in place. Right now, the, the message they've sent to anyone, and you can't fault people for wanting to come here, but the message they have sent is, if you come to our country, there won't be a wall to get over. You won't have to 
to wait in Mexico while we evaluate your asylum claim and you'll come in and be released to wherever you want to go. That's the message they have sent. So don't, don't tell us that it was a Republican's fault, for goodness sake. We're certainly willing to work to do the policies that, that actually will give us a border, the ones yep. we had under President Trump. Yep. But it doesn't seem like the Democrats want to put back in place the very things that actually were effective in securing our southern border. Well, during the Trump years, there was a point where Republicans controlled the White House, House and Senate, and it didn't get fixed then either. No, it was fixed then, Shannon. The, the, the numbers during President Trump were so good on the border. When we, he, he, we put in place the Remain in Mexico policy, we put in place the, we were building the wall. And, and frankly, he sent a message to the rest of the world. We're going to, you're going to, asylum claim is going to be evaluated in Mexico before you enter our country. That was the fundamental thing that, that changed the dynamic on the border. There's a whole different mindset from this administration. Uh, that is the fundamental problem. So until they're willing to work on those kind of policies, in the in Judiciary Committee, we will come up with an immigration enforcement bill. With a couple- and I'm glad to hear that that's one of the big things that they're looking to uh, be working on moving forward because... Immigration enforcement is definitely, uh, you know, something that we need to have done and and definitely something that we need to uh, get back to because, listen, you're talking about you want to include getaways over the course of the last, it's, it's two years now. We're, we're, you know, 10 days short of when Joe Biden was sworn in in, in 2021. And, and the fact of the matter is more than 5 million people have entered this country illegally and an overwhelming majority i'm going to say over 90 percent of them have been released uh sometimes never to be seen again uh, until they commit a crime or they cause an accident that kills u.s citizens get caught illegally voting in elections uh run up massive bills in in the healthcare sector tank your kids uh educational goals and standards because of the way that they drag down uh national testing in the classroom and stuff like that. And, and a lot of people need to remember that, you know, these people have come in, they came in a lot during the pandemic as well. And at the back end of it, during the start of the Biden administration, they were never medically screened. They were never, you know, uh, criminally vetted and they were not forced to take any kind of vaccines or medicines that they didn't want to. Um, so, so I think that's another big that we take away from this. And, uh, one of the ones that we need to, uh, you know, look look towards moving forward. And as the head of the Judiciary Committee, I think Jim Jordan's the, the right person to do it. Not only has he always had Joe Biden in his crosshairs because of his immense loyalty to President Trump and MAGA, um, you know, he knows what's going on in the U.S. southern border, and this won't be his first uh, rodeo with Alejandro Mayorkas as well. You think we're, we're lining up pretty good here to get to the bottom of some things and get that border under control at least a little bit, Antoinette? Yeah, for sure. And with Jim Jordan there behind it, I think we're in, we're in good hands. So we'll see. Absolutely. Um, so round in third here, and, and, and we're just about to be done. It's been one hell of a show. Um, and, you know, we've we've kind of sprinkled a little President Trump in here throughout the course of it. It seems like even though he's kind of still formulating what his first moves are going to be on the campaign trail, he definitely had his hand in the speakership. We can only assume he's going to have the same kind of hand in the RNC chair uh, vote, which is coming up later in the month on the 27th. Um, obviously, throughout a lot of the uh, negotiations of the House rules, some of the things that he felt and always pointed out that Nancy Pelosi had removed or not adhered to throughout the course of her speakership, um, you know, were there. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the U.S. southern border, he did it better than any president had done it for decades and decades. So, 
uh, we we can definitely give him a, a credit to having his hand involved in a lot of the things that you know moving forward we'll be looking to uh, strengthen as he's getting ready to hit the campaign trail. Speaking of which, in our last audio clip of the week, they held some kind of an event down at Mar-a-Lago this weekend, and during his uh, speaking portion of it, where he welcomed everybody and hoped that everybody was having a good time and that they'd be doing dinner and dancing and all this other stuff, that he might even be DJing a little bit at some point later in the night, he did talk about uh, messaging moving forward and how keeping America great isn't something that they're going to be uh, rehashing heading into the 2024 election cycle. Let's hear the 45th president of the United States from Mar-a-Lago this weekend. We had a tremendous success. Uh, this was going, this was going uh, along at a very bad clip. We were being mocked and scorned by the fake news media, by the Democrats. I call them the radical left. I call them uh, Marxists. I call them communists. You know, they don't. I don't ever call them socialists anymore because, uh, as we talk about a lot, uh, they skip socialism. That was a mere short stop on the subway train. <laughs> That stop lasted for about two seconds. They went over, they've gone past socialism. We have a weaponized country right now with law enforcement. It's a disgrace what's happening to our country. Uh, Ashley Babbitt's mother was arrested yesterday because she was protesting the death of her daughter being shot by a lunatic who's uh, got a record of not so good. And then they try and protect him and they do things what, what they've done to that family. But they shot her. There was no reason. And then they arrested because the mother was in a group. And they arrested yesterday the mother of Ashley Babbitt. So she loses her daughter. And then on top of it, she gets arrested. And we are uh, not going to let this go on. We're not going to let this go on. These people are horrible, horrible people. These are horrible. And what they've done and what they've done to protesters. I mean, these were protesters. They were protesting a dishonest election. And whenever you mention that, they don't want to ever talk to you because they don't want to have that, you know, out there. The one thing they don't want to talk about is a dishonest election because they know and they've been caught. And now on top of all of the, if you look at 2,000 mules and all of the different things where they're pumping, you know, where they're doing things, look at, look at your Georgia situation with the woman the other day where she, now we find out that she admitted it was a fraud. Ruby, Ruby Friedman, you see that? Ruby Freeman. She admitted it was a fraud, and then they convinced her, no, no, it wasn't, it wasn't. They took her away for two months, they say, and now uh, you look at what's happened, and then they, you see a scene like yesterday with the arrest of the mother of Ashley Babbitt. It is a disgrace what's happening to our country. Uh, we have a, we're living in a third world country, and we had a thing, Keep America Great. It was going to be a theme. We had Make America Great Again. This was going to be a theme because we did so, we did so well. Keep America great. And I couldn't use it because I said America is not great right now. We're laughed at all over the world. We have inflation that's killing us and just killing everybody. We have all of these problems. We have that horrible, horrible situation that took play, place in Afghanistan. I mean, you take a look at that. Nobody's ever seen anything like it. Think of it. So we left before the equipment was taken out. We left before the Americans were taken out and people were killed. Nobody was. So it looks like moving forward, at the very least, we're going to be looking to make America great again, again. I think we'll probably drop the second again before we officially hit the campaign trail in 2024. But at the very least, it's good to see that the uh, 45th president of the United States is now only the second candidate besides, well, neocon globalist Warhawk. Um, John Bolton has announced that he'll be running for president, is finalizing and tailoring down a lot of the things that he'll need on the campaign trail moving forward. 
Not a bad way to get this week started. I wish we could have done it with uh, the whole pod team here, but then again, life happens. We were able to uh, cook up another awesome edition of Steak for Breakfast, and if you'd like that and want to hear the over now 200 versions of the show, you can find us across every downloadable podcasting platform. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Podaddict, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, the Patriot Podcast Network on the Roku app, or even on Frank's Speech. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds go to all of our amazing guests today. Uh, attorney for Trump 2024 campaign, Miss Christina Bob, former chief of staff to the DOD, current board member of True Social, Mr. Cash Patel, and field reporter for The Daily Caller. I think that's one of the best one-on-one pieces we've done in a while, Mr. Jorge Ventura. I can't ever get enough of him on the show, and it looks like he's going to be coming on a little bit more. He likes what we do here on Steak for Breakfast. Friends, don't forget to follow uh, and throw your hard-earned cash at all of our partners, because Whenever that happens, the only thing you do is help make small American businesses great again, namely my pillow. Everyone loves sleep. If you like mornings, they've got you covered with coffee. You enter promo code steak at checkout, you're going to get big, big savings. MyPillow.com forward slash steak for anything sleep related. If you want the coffee, MyStore.com forward slash steak. Or you could always talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and the best damn headphones that I have ever owned can only be found at Odyssey. If you're in the studio, you want to be a podcaster like Noah, Antoinette, and myself, get your, uh, make the investment. Get a pair of Odyssey headphones. You can find them at odyssey.com. They're on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay Ready Gear holsters. I think uh, if you wanted a picture of the Greg Abbott mean letter to Joe Biden today, you could send that art to them at stayreadygear.com, and they will bust out a concealed carry Kydex holster in a pretty speedy time. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. Check them out. Man rubs. I'm going to have some man rubs chicken tonight. Last night I made some pasta. I brought some for Noah. Um, and I'm going to do up the man rubs chicken as soon as I get home today. You definitely want to have this as the critical accent mark to your protein entrees at dinner time. Manrubs.com is the website. They're on Facebook and Instagram. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms has a pretty simple equation for all your gun-related needs. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. His newly redesigned website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. Check him out. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. You're going to like everything they've got in their store. You're going to like their Instagram a little bit more. Mediocremedic.com is the website there. And last but certainly not least, go get a zero fucks duck. If you don't know, ask Mark Joe Friday. Dumpbox.us is the website. Find him on Instagram. Find him on Facebook. Upcoming shows. Let's see. Friday, we're coming back. Aiden Bazzetti of the Bull Moose Project is going to be here. EJ Antoni of the Heritage Foundation is going to come in talking about some of the uh, economic policies and how our economy is doing now with the start of the new year. And we're going to have Liz Harrington in here as well. I'm pretty sure she's going to be throwing some haymakers like she always does. Devin Nunez is scheduled for the 20th. Christina Bob, Matt Whitaker, and Boris Epstein will be here on the 24th. Jake Denton, EJ Antoni, and Tom Holman, former ICE director, will be here on the 27th. In addition to them, we're finalizing with Scott Pressler, who's doing an amazing work. We want to get a sit-down piece with him ahead of the RNC chair vote later in the month. We also are locking in a date with Mr. John Solomon, one of the best investigative reporters and journalists in the game. Friends of the Week, can't forget our truth streamer crew out there uh beastie man 420 siberian kitten csm master and friends indiana zoomer i saw her sharing and 
Some call me Tim79 with Sharon today as well. Ghost Hammer. Back-to-back weeks. Uh, Spoopy, the Upside Down Man, and William S. from Twitter. And then some of the meme team. C3P meme. Top-tier poopy pants Joe Biden this week. It was shared across all Steak for Breakfast social media platforms, and we will continue to do the same. Some of the other ones that made the cut. Who white memes. Dumbass Photoshop. Grand old memes. That southern dude. Mostly peaceful. Let's go Brenda. John Hacker LA. And Meme Mar. Guys, things to remember between now and Friday. Number one, do your own research. I was not 100% fully in the know about the uh, UN and Red Cross connections in regards to the migrant con crisis down on the southern border. But uh, Jorge Ventura enlightened me. And now I'm going to go do a little bit more research on that as apparently they're working hand in hand with the NGOs. Number two, start a podcast. Noah couldn't have asked for a better cut and dry today. Very few flags, even less segments. Number three, let's start talking about American greatness again. I do feel with the start of the 118th Congress, we're going to be talking about American greatness a little bit more than usual, but we need to start talking about it again on a regular basis. And last, but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 203 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast, and we'll be back with 204 on Friday. Aiden Bozzetti, EJ Antoni, and Liz Harrington already scheduled to be here. Who knows what happens between now and then. On behalf of the pod team who aren't currently here, but love you guys just as much as I do, I'm Roan. Thanks for listening, and take care. Joshua won't go home. She stepped in the other room to answer the phone. We've reached a point in human civilization at the turning point when the collapse happens that the new rebirths have to begin. So it's like a wave that breaks both ways. Either going to get more enlightened and more awake and more empowered and ride the wave like a surfer, or you're going to get more dumbed down, more corrupt, more evil. And so people are now being divided. And it, that, that division has always been there, but now it's going to become absolutely accelerated and pronounced or highlighted. And so those of us that are awake are going to get more awake and more purified and more understanding and those that aren't are going to fall deeper into illusion. It's the grand illusion. And there's no in-between? There's no in-between. It's cutting now. And there's no in-between.